The Commander Crunch Podcast is brought to you by PureMTGO.com. Head over there for great articles covering all formats of the game we all love. This podcast is also brought to you by Josh and Pat's MTG Bazaar, your home for magic card auctions in Australia, New Zealand, and Malaysia. Now, on to the podcast. It's breakfast time. Welcome to Commander Crunch episode 34. You're here for your nutritious serving of tasty Commander treats served up on the regular. We're all about celebrating the culture, community, and creativity of primarily our favorite format of Commander and Magic the Gathering, plus a side serving of entertainment and pop culture discussions for ancillary influences. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Sam, uh, Soul Steeper, I want to say this week. Loving my tea. It's good. And uh, I'm joined by, of course, as always, actually, no, new one this week, new and improved Cheshire, now with better audio. How are you doing, Chesh? <laughs> yeah, well, look, that that remains to be seen. Apparently, the audio <laughs> should be better. Or heard. Um, the, the, um, the tests that I've been running on it, and, and I have been running tests all fucking week, just in case. Diagnostics. Uh, so it should sound better. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Think. we are... So, for those that don't know, Melbourne at the moment is entering winter phase. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Victoria. So, it's been rainy and, like, Arctic cold because of an Arctic front and very windy. So, like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you'll probably hear some wind in the background that's just blowing against the unit block. I love it. It's um, I love it, and, and and it's changed my mind how I feel about cold. I've always kind of liked it, but now we live in the country. I freaking love it. It's so nice, and we get frost around the mountain, and you got to drive really slow now, and it's like it's just bizarre, and it's it's kind of the the other part was also like we went out for lunch last weekend, and there's wasps everywhere, like the gnarly European wasps that you know paralyze spiders and lay eggs inside them, and will probably do the same to you, and so you kind of naturally averse to those so the sun was out they're still around and there's apparently a lot in the area which is a bit of an issue and uh this weekend none zero absolutely gone they've all slept so it's it's kind of nice i like that so winter's my time dig it um yeah so uh this week as as it always goes uh you know we we like to do our guest profiles with the community and creators uh which they've become a place to share and explore the essence of commander and why we play in effort to promote and celebrate those in the form of just lovely conversations and we let those go wherever they need to go uh and talk about everything magic and then outside magic to uh to learn who these people are it's fantastic but uh we've we've got another awesome guest this week one i've been really excited to uh to chat to about everything be it magic be it other things i know there's a bit of music in there as well but um we're joined this week by co-host of edh rec uh, cast and cmdr central podcast writer for commanders herald and edh rec and i know there's stuff i'm forgetting there but just a name i think everyone knows dana roach how you doing dana i am doing pretty good thanks for having me on i appreciate it no oh, awesome and it's uh coming at you live from uh the it's it's the heart of wisconsin right how's how's the uh i hate to ask the the great question when you talk to someone but how's the weather <laughs> we are um you know it's been a freakish kind of spring it like things got warm relatively early and our snow mm. melted we still usually at this time of year have a little bit of snow on the ground and it's been gone for like six weeks so plants are you know all growing a month and a half earlier than they usually do and um so like today was you know 50 ish degrees and it was rainy but usually this time of year there's still snow on the ground so i am going to take that even if it isn't warm and sunny yeah. just yet it's better than snow <laughs> so what is, what, what is that 50 degrees 
Fahrenheit's like what twenty twenty two Celsius, I think. No, that's, that's lower, lower, right? Hang on. I don't know. Yeah. It's the only the only point of reference I've said this before, Dana, is um uh, the song because we do Celsius, of course. <laughs> the, 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 it's ten degrees. Yeah, wow. that's cold. That's cold. The um the Death Cab for Cutie song where he says it was a hundred degrees. I'm like that. That's oh, kind sure. of. I just know that's. I know that's pretty warm. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's about it. But yeah, no, I love it. So um yeah, no, it's uh I was gonna ask too, just just. For one, it's something I'm personally um, uh, kind of fascinated by. And I listen to both of the podcasts uh, individually, of course, and you have different roles there, but it's just, you know, fascinated by if you were to give the elevator pitch for both kind of thing, like for those uninitiated, what would you say is the difference in style and, and your involvement with EDH Recast and um, CNDR Central? Um, EDH Recast tends to be much more, maybe scientific is the word, like we are almost always exploring data mined from the site, um, usually data that like people can't access. So EDHREC has multiple, you know, developers and programmers there that manipulate stuff behind the scenes and work on, mm. uh, on, you know, whatever's happening on the website. And we have access to like, okay, can you pull this weird collection of stats from whatever database of stats they have? So we usually are doing something on that show, statistic based and, and, and yeah. analyzing something that we've pulled from the site in how it affects commander. Um, Commander Central, we tend to be a little bit more uh, formless. So, like, <laughs> an example, two weeks ago we were just talking about um, cards that are really good but aren't quite staple level and explaining why they, they might not work in every situation. And so an, an example of that was we were talking about uh, – one of the cards we mentioned was Swan Song. And, and we used yeah, to have a friend yeah. who played a – um, Angus McKenzie Super Friends deck. And I remember him saying, you know, he had terrible luck with Swan Song because when he used it, it gave somebody a swan to, to creature that he couldn't block that was really good at, <laughs> that, that he was really good at hitting his planeswalkers. So like, while Swan Song is a fantastic card in that deck, it wasn't. So like, we should yeah, do yeah. things that are a little more esoteric and talk about that, like, you know, this, that might not apply to your deck, but hopefully the concept will apply to what mm. you're doing. No, I love that a lot. And I've definitely seen some games where that swan's done some work. Like that 2-2 can get things done. Like that's, yeah, that's uh, a 22 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That evasion makes a big difference, particularly if you're, you know, having planeswalkers or something out there. So, yeah, that I mean, and it's easy to not think about that. So, at least on Commander Central, we're, we're, we've been trying to talk about that kind of thing as a way to differ- differentiate what I do in the EDH Rec cast as well. It's a way to mm. kind of separate those two. Because I used to, back in the day before I worked on EDH Rec, we did mine a lot of stuff from Track. We would talk about their lists mm. and go over that data. And I'll try to move away from doing that in Commander Central just to keep that kind of split between the two shows. Yeah, fair, fair. And, um, I mean, of course, shout out to Max, um, you know, joining <laughs> us for a, a couple of weeks ago for, uh, well, it was just me, actually, but we uh, we managed to, to do a nice three-hour long podcast, which was good time. And I think he uh, he enjoyed that, like, lack of, of, of time restriction as well. I was like, oh, okay, go for it. <laughs> yeah, that was now. a lot of fun Where to listen to. <laughs> That was great, and he he told like uh, that 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 really great origin story of CMDR Central and and how you guys all got together and and kind of have have kind of just gelled with that passion of the game, of course, and also like I think what was really what's always been really awesome about Max, he'll he'll straight up just admit when it's like, hey, Magic's probably like too much right now, and yeah. we can just like it's it's time to take a break, which I think is a really important message for for a lot of people, and it's absolutely like, it just. 
especially content creation. But that was something I was going to ask you. You you do a ton of stuff. And I think you even said recently on um, CMDR Central is you uh, hadn't written as many articles as you usually would. And that's completely fine. It's what happens, life, whatever. Um, but it's, yeah, uh, uh, what is your personal kind of... I guess, do you have anything you could boil it down to? What is your personal drive you'd always come down to that, like, what brings you back to magic week in, week out to do the amount of work you do? Um, you know, part of it is is the the schedule my life is on, for one. Um, my my son is old enough now that, like, you know, he still requires parenting, but he doesn't maybe want to spend time with his folks <laughs> like he did when he was six. Uncle dad. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, really. So, so number one, I, I have more time in my life to do things. Um, my wife gets up very early for work. She's a teacher, but, like, she has things to do in the morning. And, and so she's up at, like, 530 usually, which means she goes to bed most nights at, like, 9. And, mm. and I work from home, which means when I have to be, you know, online at eight in the morning, I can get up at like seven fifty eight. So we've all flown close to the sun that way. It's like yeah, so, <laughs> the so, on. <laughs> exactly. So so there's a window in there where like she goes to bed, and I've got three hours at night, and you know, I guess I could be playing video games or or watching movies or something, but. Mm. For for whatever reason, I just like want to do something that I feel like is making progress towards a goal of some sort, and this kind of mm. is a way to way to do that while also enjoying myself. So I can do something that's fun, but I can also feel like I'm accomplishing something. Yeah, no, I love it. It's um, yeah, no, you, and you do it a ton of a lot, and like it's just if you had those moments, like um, uh, like you know, Max kind of alluded to, like if you had any moments over the last few years, you're like, oh, I think magic is just needs a break for a week, you know, like just, just let's just press pause to make sure it's always fresh. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I really have. Um, and when I do, one of the things we do try to do sometimes is bake in a little bit of a break. So, you know, mm. every so often EDH rec will record two shows in a week because we know we'll not have to record next week or something. Um, and then I'll try to do the same thing for Commander Central and like sync those two things up so I can have one week where we do a little bit of extra work and the next week I don't have anything going on. Yeah. Um, for me, at least, that's been enough of uh, the occasional vacation that way. It's been enough to not get burnt out. Um, yeah. I, I enjoy yeah. it though. I, I don't know. Just the way my, my brain works or I work, um, it, 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 it isn't something that I've ever, at least so far, gotten <laughs> sick of or felt like it's just been too much. Yeah, and I think that's you know people people do talk about what they you know uh, there's there's definitely conversations about it too much product and fatigue and stuff which yeah I think we've all yeah. felt that a little bit but I mean for me I definitely find that uh, my attention span with hobbies and stuff over the years was probably a bit shorter on things and they'd like move mm -hmm. to other things or they'd take a back seat and they'd just be. You know, I don't have to do them every day. Magic's been that one thing, and maybe it is actually increased product cycle that continues to stimulate that, which I know is probably the objective, uh, that there is something exciting going on every week, you know, of course, oh, yeah. as long as it's not too much of the negative realm, which we, 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 we get to see a lot of, of course, but like there's, there's enough, I think lately, like the, the, all the commander decks coming out, I'm like, well, I wasn't like ready. Like the strict saving stuff has been exciting, but I think all the stuff on the commander decks just like, oh, this is like what it, you know, this is classic spoiler season stuff. This is exciting. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, the, 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 the zest is there again, which is really nice. So no, yeah, well, in, in the uh, fact that like the, there's always something 
new coming out and, and that mm. can be overwhelming, but it also changes the face of the game and it changes the games you're playing and the way Commander works. You're playing with different people every week and you can always, at least you can over spell table and, and the shop yeah. I play in or at least did play in pre-pandemic had a pretty good crowd so I could rotate pods very easily as well. Um, the game just tends to stay fresh in a way that I think a lot of kind of hobbies don't. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in that regard, it's it's been a, it's kept my interest in a way that a lot of things in the past haven't. Um, and, and it fills, at least for me, it fills a lot of uh, voids and it does so kind of simultaneously, at least for my interests. I've mm-hmm. always been a collector to a degree. I mean, not like a hoarder level collector or anything, but like – you know, I relate I, to that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, I have a record collection, and you know, back when CDs were a much bigger thing, I was the guy that, you know, a couple times a month, I'd, I'd draw <laughs> the three or four used CD stores in town to look for obscure things or you know, CD singles or whatever. And you know, when I I've got a pretty good collection of books, and when I played World of Warcraft a lot, I would collect mounts. So like, there's an element of collecting <laughs> that I like, and Magic does feed that. And, you know, it, it, it's a creative outlet. Commander is one of the few formats, it will probably be the format, where you can actually, like, try to come up with something interesting and still win games. Yeah. If you show up at Modern with, like, your, your, your neat homebrew creative deck, you are just going to get crushed. Um, mm. That is not the case with Commander. I mean, you know, depending on what part level you play at, but, like, you can use it as a creative outlet in a way I think you probably can't with most hobbies or at least a lot of hobbies. So it kind of nails that thing for me. Um, mm. It's a way to make friends. Like totally. there, yeah. there was a window post, you know, high school, post college. Definitely. I don't know if I made any friends or, or at least like people that I honestly liked, like you'd meet people at work now and then, but very rarely was that a shared interest friendship. It was like a yeah, shared yeah. space kind of friendship. So there yeah, was like probably, colleagues, a, yeah. yeah, exactly. There was a 10 year window where, you know, my friends were people from work and, you know, well, that's fine. But like, it wasn't until I started playing commander regularly. I, I've met locally, you know, at least in real life, a, a dozen people I would call good friends, let mm. alone the amount of people now online that I have friendships with and actually get together and see, you know, once a year or so, or, or at the very least talk to. So it's provided that for me as well. Um, there's just a bunch of things like all rolled into one that that have kind of worked out in in magic in a weird way that I don't know what I don't know where I would get all of those things simultaneously elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I never thought about that way too. It's it's ultimately a big Venn diagram. It's a big convergence of mm-hmm. uh, factors um, and 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 characteristics that all kind of you know they gel with the people it's going to gel with kind of thing. Like you say, it's, yeah. for me, it was collecting and it's like, I used to be a lot more on the basketball cards. I do some stuff with Chesh these days, but the basketball side of things, like I always found that a little bit one dimensional. I love basketball, but it's like, what do you do with the cards? You just look at them. And so it's have something <laughs> right. where there was collection. There was something like this thematic things I was into being the fantasy world stuff. And I'm very, uh, I was going to touch on it before, but the game is like, you know, it is evolving. That's the exciting part mm-hmm. as well. You know, some people don't like the change, but it is evolving. So it's going to do different things in, a, in an exciting way. But there's that. Uh, and then you actually play the, the pieces that you play uh, and you can actually have there's There's a creative outlet of brewing and there's self-expression of the, the weird things you're going to brew. And, and you can that can be your, your, a part of your identity, which is like that was that was always the initial part that was like, 
satisfying and uh and, and appealing to myself and then it was yeah when commander came along oh yeah this is this on another level because it is social and you're all contributing to something special on the table and it's a culture around it and yeah it just does everything it's it's an explosion of all these things together so no i love that a lot for sure so um yeah i mean speaking of so to the uh more short-term nitty-gritty of uh what we usually do for for brewers notes like uh looking at latest kind of decks and, and anything we've added lately of interest uh or also like just games we've played i know you guys do that on cmdr central i'll start with you dana anything in the last week or so that um any interesting games you've had or uh anything you're adding to decks or brewing on um I'm trying to think here. You know, I, I did mention this on Commander Central. We recorded it on Friday, but I, I will I will mention it again. Um, <laughs> I, I had a really good game on the EDH Recast stream on, on Wednesday night. We were playing with oh, Chase. Nice. Um, and, and what happened was um, she wound up dropping Karn, the great creator, the, the commander that turns off – or the, the planeswalker that turns off artifacts. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then you know, just it was in her deck, and it, it didn't. She did, she wasn't playing it to stop anything. She was just playing it to yeah. play it, and and, and pass a turn to to Joey Schultz, who was playing a feather deck, and he proceeded to drop a dockside extortionist, um, and then blink it oh. like three, three times <laughs> or something. So he made like twenty some treasures, which he couldn't use. But they're embargoed, yeah. <laughs> but, but they were there. And, and so then the game turned into like an hour-long version of Joey trying to kill Chase or kill Karn. Wow. And the three of us trying to keep that from happening because as soon as it <laughs> happened, he had access to all the men in the world and was definitely going to win the game. Um, so so that was a, a, a very weird kind of arch enemy game that wound up being just insanely fun. Like at one point, she dropped up White Steel Colossus and managed to swing at Joey and he... He passed it, I think, and she was able to use Karn's ability to bring an artifact back from exile <laughs> to bring the Blightsteel back, and she finally was able to get through. And then I was able to then, – and then, then I killed her with an Attempsis the next turn. With yeah, the, the, I saw the you tweeting about that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, every aspect of that game was kind of insane. Um, so yeah. that was, that's the best one I've played in a long time just because it was – so many absurd cards being played and being used in ridiculous ways and it it was it was a blast i love that to bits and like unexpected drama too and it's like it's not playing khan to like shut anyone out it's not using microsoft lattice like you know it's like right uh, right it just so happens to like have a have an effect on someone else oh that was that was convenient because it wasn't it it was like the one card that was going to stop him from doing anything and she just (laughs) happened to play it the turn before all his plans came together it was a beautiful thing I love it. And I love that idea of having 30 rocks and nothing. To do. They don't do anything. It's so perfect. That's so exactly. Um, Chesh, anything you've been up to last week? I mean, I know we played a little bit of Commander Sealed. No, not Sealed. What am I talking about? The, the Precon League, we've kind of had a game or two of that, uh, but we've, we're meaning to kind of keep that going next week. Yeah. I mean, Precon League has pretty much been my only outlet. Yeah. I've been working like 14-hour uh, days pretty much every day. Beyond uh, 9 to 5, yes, yes. Because, you know, my job is extremely busy right now with the end of uh, Fringe Benefits Tax Year. Um, actually, but there is something I do want to talk about, and it leans into um, our our Commander League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that is, so I bought a whole bunch of stuff uh, from a local card store, which I won't name out of respect that I actually like these dudes, despite mm, 
despite what I'm about to talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just trying to find the best way to say this without coming off like a complete and utter arsehole. You can do it very quickly and just uh, say pack your cards correctly, because I... Uh... Just pack, pack your fucking cards correctly. It's not hard. Oh, no. um, and But it is something I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Dana. Just, just about, like, how... It, it Because, okay, so what happened is... I received an order of like $30 worth of cards from a local card store. One of those cards alone is $11 and the rest are not bulk rare stuff, but close enough to being bulk rare stuff. No sleeves on anything except for the, uh, the <laughs> Eldrazi monument. Nothing was top loaded at all. There was a single top loader put in there that was used as backing in a uh, plastic team bag. Um, <laughs> and 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 it was sent out to me, and I feel like if I'm being a customer of a store, they could have at least sleeved everything. Um, yeah. But I really feel like the Acronas monument, uh, the Eldrazi monument, should have been in the top loader. Like the the rest of the stuff being between one and three dollars doesn't concern me that much, but does make me a little concerned when there's no added protection other than like a bubble mailer but what, what are your thoughts on shops sending out stuff like that like am, am i wrong in saying that everything should have been at least sleeved yes so um <laughs> i've kind of gotten spoiled so I, I primarily buy either from my local shop or i just go in there or mm-hmm. if they don't have something i'm looking for i just get stuff from card kingdom because I routinely have a decent amount of credit there that I from from just stuff I send in from collections I buy or whatever. Um, and Card Kingdom does a fantastic job packaging stuff up here in the states and mailing it out. So the last couple of years, I've been I just have reduced my experiences with people sending cards like that because I just don't don't do it. Um, however, when I first started buying cards online. Troll and Toad. I don't care if I mention their name. I I bought from them once or twice and would just get a loose card, not in any sleeve, in in, in an envelope. Just a plain old envelope. It opened up. They just drop a card in it, lick it, stamp stamp Troll and Toad on it, write my name with a pen and mail it out, Um, which is insane. I mean, I don't – Yeah. Yeah. You got to – it's not that difficult either. I actually yeah. sell a few things on TCG Player. I have a small store that's not – you wouldn't know it was me. It's not in my name. But I sell a few things on there. You know, like like we're talking two cards a week tops. Um, and I put it in a in a sleeve and then put it upside down in the top loader and tape the top loader closed and make it a little tab on the tape so the tape's easy to come off and put it in a bubble envelope. And you can mail it out for a dollar here in the States. And, and I sell yeah, cards. Maybe. Most of the cards I sell are like in the 20-ish dollar range. So I don't mind spending a dollar on postage. But you, it, it's just not that difficult to do. And I, I feel like, yes, there's there's no excuse for messing up cards in the mail these days. So, so yeah. Chesh, I, mean, like, I was going to so, say, so we talk about mm-hmm. it a lot in, in basketball, of course, because basketball is at a whole different, like, I feel like expectation level. Because you said this week that happened. And I was like, oh, to be honest, I see... Like maybe some of the auction sites and stuff, but I see some of the like you're paying for two dollars postage and it's like it's pretty pretty minimal kind of thing that surprised me getting the basketball stuff where padded mailers, top loaders, everything, it's all should be expected kind of thing. And I always kind of hinge on the uh the, the kind of level of like, oh, or maybe someone just hasn't really 
kind of uh, I know it's common sense, but some, someone may not have set the, uh, the the kind of the formal expectation or the commu- like have, have communicated that's what should be done kind of thing. Uh, Notwithstanding, anyway, Jason Holt had a great like post literally like a day after. My, oh, yeah, see, he had an experience as well. He had one that literally was the tape. I mean, that's the big common sense. No, no, like the tape touching the card. When you have oh, yeah. flipped it yeah. type thing, and he said team bags are the way to go, and a lot of people don't yeah. know what a team bag well, was, and it's like they're so they're cheap, they it, contain, you know. It's that thing, right? Like everything I send out from my store, cheshbreaks.com.au. Uh, yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I'm doing like basketball or magic or Pokemon or whatever, like it's everything goes in a sleeve, and then depending on what the order is, like everything goes in a top loader regardless. Um, if it's an order of, say, 10 cards, I can chuck that into a single top loader mm-hmm. um, because you just buy the bigger top loaders. And then I chuck it all into a tight team bag so I don't need to actually tape the top because the mm-hmm. team bag is tight enough to keep the cards, you know, inside the, the the thing and then into a bubble mailer and then mail it out. Like, mm. it's it's super easy to do. And these partic- this particular store is run by some extremely well-known Magic the Gathering Pro Tour grinders. And then you're like, oh, is been... it just someone who's, like, just packing orders and, like, kind of maybe well, didn't get the memo I, type deal? I, you know? I was like, well, maybe it's it's not one of them that's packing the orders. Totally. Turns out it actually is one of them. Oh. It is actually <laughs> not only one of them, but the one that I have on my Facebook friends list. Yeah. Um, and I posted because I posted directly. I didn't post it on Instagram or socials or anything. I posted it directly in their own specific MTG group because I didn't want to shit on them because I buy a lot of them yeah, when yeah. I can and I, I give them a lot of business. And I, well, send that, I was going to say that way. or direct contact is kind of the way to go and just like have a conversation. Yes. You don't need to be narky about it. And just well, that's and that's why I posted it in their group. Yeah. And one of the first reactions to that post was the, the person running the group as the group using the angry emoji. Oh, I didn't know if it was a sad one. Anyway, it, it, well, there we go. As far as I, I, yeah, I, I know that, but like, <laughs> we talk about uh, communication with no words type thing, and how we're like, oh, that could be any number of tones of a man- uh, angry face emoji. Are you emoji. angry at me for posting it? Are you angry at yourself for posting it? Are you angry at yourself for not packing it correctly yeah. when it would have taken you two fucking seconds? Come on, guys. There's Come a. On. <laughs> so, side, side, side note. There's a great scene in uh, the, the Aziz Ansari show, Master of None, where they spend half the episode like just absolutely <laughs> like trying to decipher what the emojis mean and the connotations <laughs> and like what it. And it's like it's so true. It's like it's such a modern issue. It's like I don't know like the depth of what like, that communication's coming from or like what they they might mean and or the ulterior motives. And it's like ask them. Like yeah, exactly, emojis, man. It's um it's 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 the, the communication pitfall. Uh, pitfalls of our, our common gen- uh, um, our, our generation. It's it's a tough one. I, I, I can't even imagine sense. trying to date right now in, in the world. Exactly, you communicate I, oh, that way. I just yeah. I can't. I couldn't even do. I so, do oh, it's a different climate, it, exactly. And it's like things I, seem so transactional. It's like oh, that scares the crap out of me. And thankfully, I met my wife when I was nineteen, and that was <laughs> feels like a hundred years ago. Like yeah, exactly. I couldn't date in this day and age. I, I've said it a million times. Like. I, I remember twenty years ago or twenty twenty years ago. Hang on, let me let me gather our children. Old chess is going to tell you. Because there was a time a time between there. 
Uh, I remember like about 10 years ago when I was single for a couple of years and it was the worst experience because <laughs> I, I actually, does, does anyone want to hear some great date stories? I feel quick. I, I was going to talk more <laughs> magic, but go for it. Yeah. All right. So uh, one of these dates I went on, uh, somebody catfished me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and at the time I was uh, 31. Um, so do your math, kids. Yeah. <laughs> so do your math, kids. Uh, so I was 31 and this particular person, she was in her 40s. Which I'm fine with, by the yeah. way. Uh, the, the disparity in age doesn't really bother me that much because people are people. Um, except when it comes to you using a photo of you from 20 years ago, which, again, isn't really a problem. I'm not that skin deep that I'm like, oh, you're old and wrinkled. Like that, I don't really care about, like, mm. you know, the look of somebody. But... That immediately set off like, okay, this is going to be a bit weird because, you know, obviously they're not using their actual photo, like an updated photo. So that's a bit weird. Um, we went out to have steak. <laughs> the thing's like 5 DPI or something. Like it's an old JPEG. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we went out to have steak and a drink. The person ordered a salad. Mm-hmm. We specifically go out to a place that does primarily steak. They're ordering a salad. They, they wanted that's to go fine. to this place. They are the one who suggested this place for steak and a drink. They just want to say you proceeded eat a nice to steak. drink. They proceeded to drink Coke, and I was <laughs> like, "This is weird." That's that I wouldn't like when I hear the word "let's go out for a drink." It's not like "let's mm. go out for a soft drink." It's "let's go out for a drink." Um, so I, of course, went with rum and Coke. Um, somehow. Because I, I was just like, all right, I'll, I'll give this a chance. This is fine. The conversation's fine. Get to date two, Tron Legacy. Ah. Good movie. <laughs> Have you heard this one? Have I told you about this one? No. So she turns up with the Katana umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, this is going to be an interesting talking piece because I'm living in Queensland at this time. They're actually illegal in Queensland. You cannot have them because they look like a regular katana. Um, it's like, this surely is not a katana in the bloody blade. Like, what? It's it's not like, well, it, does it just look like it's, it? It's just the handle. It's funny you should joke about that. Oh, no. Because this, this particular katana umbrella came from Japan. Oh, no. And actually does also have a katana um, inside the umbrella. <laughs> um, alarm bells. <laughs> So, so that was a bit alarm bellish. Better not stuff um, so, up that cop, that popcorn, or else someone's losing a hand. Like, oh my god. Well, yeah. So I'm like going, go like a second date going to the movies is a bit weird for me because I'm like, but like we're here to like talk. You can't talk during a movie, so are we just hanging out? Like, yeah, I've always found and, that dynamic and, a bit strange. Like, yeah, and as that's a, as fine a date if location. you just want to hang out. But like a date going to the movies as a second date is a bit weird because you're yeah. not getting to really know the person. Especially after the first date was a bit weird because they were like, "What do you do for a living?" And I tried to explain, and they were like, "I don't really get the whole internet thing." Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Despite the fact that this person has already talked about um, anime, uh, Akira, uh, Ghost in the Shell, uh, comics. Katana umbrella. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is 
the weirdest shit ever. Because, like, how do you not know about the internet? Even 10 years ago, how do you not know much about the internet mm-hmm. when you're into, like, all of this, like, kawaii stuff? <laughs> when you're a massive weep. Um, so it comes to the end of the night. And I'm like, I don't know what to do here because it's the second date, right? Mm. So, like, I'm not going to move in for the kiss because that feels like a bit <laughs> a, a bit quick. Again, you might lose your hand. <laughs> well, <laughs> that aside, I was just like, you know, that's fine. So I've decided that I'm going to walk home. Um, it's like a half an hour walk home, like, rather than catch public transport because public transport is just, it's all annoying and shit. And it's time to think, time to think. On the way home, I get a message and it's like, hey, sorry about tonight. Probably should have like, you know, gone somewhere where we could talk. Don't think we'll see each other again. Ah. <laughs> and I just wrote back, yeah, that's cool. You're a bit weird. Oh. <laughs> you know how I feel about the word weird, but yeah. Because exactly. I was just like, nah, I'm done. I'm uh, done here. Like, I'm, I'm absolutely just done. Let's agree to disagree. That's fine. That's fine. Move but on. yeah, date Dating? Like, with people like that around? No thanks. Times. Like, that was a seriously weird situation. And, and knowing that somebody is carrying a literal fucking <laughs> weapon with them to a date. Like, what type of vibe did you oh. get off me from the first date that you needed to bring a katana? You just always got to be prepared, Jish. Like, it's, it's, I, I almost admire that. That's just disturbingly... Oh, that's gold. Um, my uh, my brewers notes for this week were uh, I played a bunch of really nice games with um, a, a new deck I talked about last week, uh, which is Morite of the Frost. I think that is Morite. Yes, the uncommon from Coldheim, and that's been an absolute joy. It's the first time I played Simic in it, like probably a year or two. Uh, I got really over Simic and going, oh, it's too easy, whatever. And it was um, it was more just going the whole. Let's let's copy things. Impo- uh, I called it imposter syndrome, which is a, a topic near and dear to my heart and um, very personal. But it's like make a deck out of it and formalize it, kind of thing. It's um, but yeah, like making it's the whole thing, making clones of other people's stuff. That's that's often a lot of fun. Um, and what happened uh, with the pandemic going the way it is in the country, and we kind of got things under control. I was able to um, have a couple of my friends over at at my place. Last week, I believe, for the first time, it's something I'd look forward to ever since we bought a house. And it was like, this is like, I'm just looking at places going, oh, this is where we can play magic and where we're going to spin all our tunes. And like, you know, we're going to be drinking beer to the early hours. It's going to be amazing. And it was like, it was really, really amazing to finally have that happen with um, uh, my mate Matt, Alex and uh, Harley. And we just played a ton of Commander for about 24 hours straight and, and drank amazing beers and wines and, and played music and it was awesome. So we had a couple of games there. Uh, it was the type of thing too. I'd brewed all these decks over the last year. So I just had them lying around. I'm like, everyone grab a deck. And we did the whole... I, I highly recommend this if, um you know, in the normal times when everyone can get together. Like if you've got a whole bunch of decks, spin a dice and like see who's going to play what. And if you end up playing other people's decks... It's a ton of fun to see the way other people brew that kind of thing, and like they, there's always those comments. Someone's piloting your deck, and they're like, "What the hell is this in here for? This sucks." <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, hey, that's my favorite card. That's zebra unicorn thing. Like, you know, like just a crappy four, um, four CMC zebra with lifelink. It's a two-two. It's like I just like it because the art, um, stuff like that happening. It's just really, really cool and and a lot of fun. But uh, I, yeah, played uh, this Mariah of the Frost deck and and. 
had a couple of really funny highlight moments just making copies of things. A uh, couple of cards out of cold time, absolute stunners. Like the, I knew they were cool, and then playing them, like wow, the reflections of Lichara is insane. The whole yeah. make copies of things far out, like. And this one being shapeshifters are generally how all your clones are coming in, so you cast them and they get a copy. Um, but the one that just blew my mind, and I always thought it'd be cool with all the possibilities, but really did the job, was Mystic Reflection. I've just enjoyed the crap out of that card. That It's so funny. Like, the weird things you can do with that card, the whole choose... It's just a two-man instant. I have to read it every time. I'm like, yeah, it's, so who does it target and what does it do again? But choose target non-legendary creature. Next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield, they enter as copies of the chosen creature. So I had one. I kicked a ride of replication, which I haven't done in, I feel, it feels like three years. And uh, and then just mystic reflection that. So I was targeting a Hornet Queen on someone else's like board. <laughs> I think I made something like 100 little Hornets and 25 of the mother ones. And so it was it was a time and it was just like... Even though it's like, that's not win the game territory because I had to like still survive with like 125 creatures on the board and then, you know, the swing would be lethal. But it's just like, yeah, I've done my thing. I can die now happy like in the game. It was, it was just really cool. So, yeah, that's been a joy. Uh, have played a bit with like some of the folks on uh, the Lexicon server um, and and just, just been a good time kind of thing. And I think um, what it's going to lead into is is some of the stuff now that like it's taken a couple of weeks, but like I'm getting pretty excited about some of the Strixhaven stuff. And it's it's actually, oh, there's there's like really interesting things coming out of this set, uh, especially these commander decks. And so it's kind of just going to check in with you two and, 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 and how you're feeling about, I mean, the set in general and then and what they're kind of doing with commander decks. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of torn um, on, on, first of all, on them being tied to the standards that they're doing. Um, on one yeah, hand, yeah. like I, I like that it lets them expand on the plane um, because since we've moved away from the block setup we had for, for years and years where they would have, you know, usually three full sets to tell a story, we're mm. usually getting one now. And it does give them some room to breathe and tell a little bit more story and use a few more characters. So that that's a plus, I think. Um, it also lets them expand on, me- on mechanics. You know, looking at Mutate last year, for example, there's just so many Mutate cards you can put in a standard set that let them expand on that mechanic as well. So I Yeah, think that's true, without breaking th- it. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, and I like them when they do that with the two decks with every set, maybe not the five commander ones, but I like that every standard set we get a commander deck um, that usually has one or two useful cards in it, and that's way better than the Planeswalker decks that nobody, that at least yeah. I never bought or nobody I knew bought. I think that's the um, best that product's ever been when it was yes. yeah, two. And it's like, that's not like pushing it too hard. And they were cheap. And that's like, this is awesome. Like, And they rock, yeah. as Chesh will tell you too. Like, he, he kicks ass with them. But like, yeah, totally. And I'm, I, I, I feel like it's we may have seen the last of that because I think they realized they were really good decks and they should be charging yeah. more probably. But yeah. Um, but it's also maybe part of me thinks that this is the set they're pulling out all the stops for, of course. Like, this is the one they're, oh, they're going to get so many new fans. Like, I hate to say, like, you can't you can't not talk about Harry Potter when it comes to this thing. It's right. Like, it's, <laughs> it's all over it. Like, it, it totally is. But it's, you know, and that's fine. Well, but it, it's, it's set, going to draw in new people for sure. These five decks definitely feel like, at least to me, there's less filler here. Um, yes yeah like in the past there's always those couple of cards that you're like well this is clearly something that like, didn't get didn't make the cut in some standard set and they just use yeah. the card here 
um, or like the vow cycle they've always put in relatively frequently, you know, the vow of duty or yeah. vow of whatever, <laughs> that you immediately pull out of your deck. Even if you're like playing the precon commander, you just yank that out first thing and put in anything else. Yeah. Um, this year didn't have that. Like I looked through the all the new cards and every one of them, even if that wasn't something I want, I was like, I know what deck wants that. I know what mm. deck wants that. I understand what this is trying to do. So I think they did a really nice job with making all the new cards actually functional and serve a purpose and, and have a place where they will go. I was very impressed with that. Um, I didn't love the reprints this year. Um, there was a couple of those big ones in, in the, the lore hold one, but like those were accidents. <laughs> like they didn't try to put. It, it felt that way, didn't it? Like, yeah. Like they was... didn't try to put two $20 cards in that deck. Those were $8 cards a year ago when that deck was yeah. put together and somebody just screwed up and didn't realize <laughs> they were going to turn into $20 cards. Um, I I think they are a little cynical. I think things like Atali and every single red precon they can jam it into, or Zatalpa and every white one, like those aren't in there. Special, you know, like yeah, not not that Atali isn't a good card, and and it's probably pretty good in that deck. But like, the choice isn't made to put those cards in those decks because they're good. The choice is made because those have been printed so much that there's never going to be any value for them anyway. They're never going to sell packs, so we might as well use Mm. them. Um, that is a little uh, off-putting to me because um, we've seen things in the past like, hey, Avengers Endicar, when it was a dollar, it used to show up in all these precons. Mm. It, it, and it, the cost of Avengers Endicar has outpaced the reprint cycle. So they quit reprinting it in those sets because now it has value and they can use it to sell packs. So mm. I don't I, – I feel that's a little – I use the word cynical. But that's the best way to describe it. I, I don't love that. Um, mm. But – one thing I do, I, I did think that they kind of solved is we didn't get that that dot cut extortionist or fierce guardianship. And while yeah, those are great yeah. cards, I don't know if the format necessarily needs those cards that are like an auto include power wise in any deck that can run them. And those kind of felt like that. So I think it's maybe nice not getting those. I think they did a nice job printing a bunch of good useful cards without printing anything that was you know busted feeling. And I think also that those ones, of course, command the the price tag that make yeah. it so that that deck becomes quite inaccessible to even yes. find anywhere. And it's like it's always the, the, either buy the one or like uh, sometimes a, a cycle of a couple of them. And I remember like you know, Atraxa was one of them maybe for power like back in the day. But yeah, it's the mm-hmm. the, the the kind of uh, yeah the free spells kind of cycle as well. And then Dockside, it's like you just buy the precon for the Dockside, which is like it's kind of missing the point exactly. Like. Um, but yeah, well, I, I think there's balance there. I, I'm still sitting on staples from was it 2014 when True Name mm. was in in one of the de- in whatever deck it was in the the Joleva deck, I believe. Because um, that's what people I, were doing, right? They're just like you buy it yeah. and you sell the True oh, Name. I, I would get up every Saturday morning and drive and hit. I had a loop around my area where there's like a couple WalMarts and a couple other big box stores that would sell Commander decks, and they would put them out Saturday morning. So I would Dang. go drive drive a loop around the area and buy like two or three of those Joeva decks most weekends for like a month or two, probably more than that even, come mm. home, crack it open, sell the Joeva for more than I paid for the deck on eBay. Far out. And then just and, and, and keep most of the rest of the stuff. So like I still have, you know, six or seven sudden spoilings left over from that. Like every soul ring I have in a deck that isn't a fancy one that I've specifically went and sought out is one of the soul rings from that 2014 mm-hmm. deck because I kept all my soul rings or I kept all my, Staples um, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever else is in there. I think propaganda was in there. So I, I still have a couple of propagandas left that I haven't gotten rid of. 
Dang. So, I mean, that's not – I did that, but, like, that's not probably good for the game. Mm-hmm. And worth mentioning, exactly. Chesh, that reminds me. Did you see that there's a picture someone uh, tweeted today of, of what, like, the, the status quo is with, like, uh, Targets and Walmarts these days? And, I mean, we have an idea of what, like – basketball cards are like here and like pokemon cards and they've of course had a boom this last year but like i think that all gets amplified in the states of course but they yeah. had to have a, a literally like shelves are empty and they say everyone looking for nba mlb uh, nfl and pokemon cards like there's one time <laughs> stopped, <laughs> sure, and yeah. it's 8am and you're limited to three packs. And it's like that, <laughs> yeah. that kind of like, Hey children line up. Like you just don't literally because they said, and it was like language used. I can't remember what it was, but basically so that everyone has a fair go and basically no one gets into fights. Like, and that's what gets sure. really kind of gnarly about the whole thing. And, and mm-hmm. a bit gross. And I know, I don't know how much magic's, done that i know there's a couple of sets of people would absolutely scour and and you know look for whether it's jumpstart when that appeared or uh i know there's been yeah the commander decks mainly but like they're not people with with magic anyway talk about like you know buy your own peril in a big box store because you're likely going to open a, a commander precon and it's like 100 basic lands like because <laughs> sure, that's what yeah. people do and it's gross but yeah. um yeah did you see that Josh? i i did yeah um, <laughs> it's just I've like been whoa monitoring because because of you know uh, industry secrets here yeah. we go. Be- <laughs> nice. because of being somebody who does retail sealed products now and again who yeah. does breaks for basketball stuff uh, and can't get it here in Australia from wholesalers because we just don't get enough product and etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, I have to keep an eye on shit like that because yeah. most of my stock does come from people. You know, from the the dreaded resellers from Walmart and Target, etc., uh, mm. and seeing that these, you know, these things are being imposed is one half like, yeah, good for you. On the other half, it's like bad for me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because it means I can't really buy in bulk. I've got to wait weeks so that somebody restocks their, you know, replenishes their stock, and then buy it off the reseller that way once it's been, you know, yeah aptly secured um the the problem with that is just simply comes back to not enough product is being produced like yeah that's yeah, why we exactly. haven't really we're still seen in the weird zones aren't we like it's like not enough yeah. product and then also like shipping issues anywhere and yeah we're still well, in wizards and, and this is the thing to their credit wizards overprints most things mm-hmm. except for the commander decks and except for special sets generally speaking which is both a blessing and a curse like as we saw with like uh, the 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 gunning ship and whatever else like really uh, yeah. powerful cards and you couldn't get the precons and then all of a sudden you could get the precons for a very limited time but you know you'd go in and and find one copy of that particular precon and you'd be like sweet I got it and then somebody's gone in and bought the rest of them out like mm. it, it happens but um yeah it's it's a really weird it's a weird situation to be in yeah. um when we just can't get enough product here anyway. Uh, yeah. and, and even looking especially at Magic with Time Spiral, like, yeah, you know, yeah. America thinks it's bad with Time Spiral prices going up. Um, think about Australians where we're paying double what you guys are. True, yeah, but I, I feel like Time Spiral was pretty good. 
Like we, we, I think me and me and yourself, Chesh, were able to get a box for three hundred Australian. A, a single, and, a and single that, box, and that was like a couple of weeks ago. And like, uh, I think I should pull the pin on this now. I wasn't going to. I kind of want one, and I know this will probably go up next week if they're saying Amazon's already on close to three fifty USD. I was like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, yep. who knows, right? Like, and 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 then the weird ones like Jumpstart was completely inverted. We got heaps of Jumpstart, and I don't know why. It oh, was, we didn't get we very much here at all. Yeah, yeah, like, and, and so the prices were very strange. And, like, the one that got me, I was like, I sold uh, to Caitlin, of course, the um, Allosaurus Shepherd that I got from my box. I was like, oh, I think it was $100 at the time. Look at the price of it now. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like, that shouldn't be a $100 card. It shouldn't be a $180 card. But, like, yeah, it's it's strange, strange stuff, of course. And um, I, it, that stuff fascinates me. I don't know much about the finance side of it except for, like, just what I witnessed. But it, it's also why... I love listening to like Brainstorm Brewery every week and hear Jason and, and, and DJ and that like just talk about it and Corbin and like, well, yeah, it's just like there's it's a fascinating kind of uh, there's there's supply and demand factors and, and what people use it for. And yeah, yeah. for sure. But, um, well, I, I'm kind of lucky in, in where I live. Um, the town I'm in is, you know, not huge, but we're like 70,000 people. Um, so it's mm. it's a big enough town. But <clears throat> There's a ton of small, like little rural communities within, you know, 20 ish miles of me. Um, and then I have, you know, my wife's family is a two hour ish drive one direction. And my mom has, she lives in upper Michigan, which is, you know, like a eight or 10 hour drive in a different direction. So like mm. I have enough opportunities over the course of the year where, where, where I'm traveling to see family or something where I'm driving through a bunch of these small towns. Yeah. And yeah. I, I have over the years had good luck just stopping at random, you know, Walmarts or Kmarts in some small town I'm going through. Yeah, wait, no one's and... really playing Magic or something. Like... <laughs> exactly. So, you know, in, in the last few years, I, th- I think a lot of the stuff, it's not as qu- it's not quite as good as it once was. But, like, say yeah. five years ago or something, I could wander into a Kmart in a small town and find, like, Zendikar packs on occasion or, yeah. at the very least, Innistrad packs just mm-hmm. on the shelf. And commander decks definitely are something in those small towns I've had good luck with. Like I've, I've picked up a couple different, I think I have fierce guardianship and I think in three mm-hmm. decks, it's not in all of my decks, but I think I have three of them. And those are all off Savins I have found in a mm-hmm. big box store in some small town that I happen to be traveling through. And I just like whip over and run in and hey, there's a Savin in the shelf. And, and, and you're less likely to see somebody have tampered with it in that kind of small, <laughs> yeah, that's small so town exactly. as well. Yeah. So. But but most people aren't that way. Like if you're living in a big city, you don't. That's just not something that you have access to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, going back to the point of your discussion here, Sam, around mm-hmm. the uh, the new commander decks, I've got one question, and that is why why did we need quantum quandrix? Uh, what do you mean? What about like just a good simic tokens. deck? We always just, need a good simic deck, Jeff. Tokens. <laughs> Why do we need more token generation stuff? Oh, like, yeah, no, but like they all do something that's done before. And I was looking at that. a lot of this just slots into Morite. I'm like, hell yeah, this is actually some cool stuff. I don't, I was looking at this, I'm like, I don't actually find the Simic one, I don't know, the proof will be in the pudding, but I don't find it too egregiously overpowered or anything. Like, it's good, but it's like. It's not about being overpowered, it's about it doing the same boring I, shit. I, I know, over. but like, I mean, Dana said it before too. Like, I, I, it's, they've got to pull out five, they decided to pull out five commander decks for this set which like that's a lot of legwork and you know it's kind of got to extend what the actual main set doing of course like i do like that they start to mess with a couple of cool design spaces that um is is nice and new and interesting uh but like there's the whole like did you see the suspend cycle that you keep 
mm-hmm. like basically casting spells forever and over three turns, whatever. Interesting. But like, yeah, I mean, what's the main one? Parallel lives in the command zone, essentially. Like that's, yeah, like it's cool. But like, I, I know what you mean though. Like, do we need any more? Probably not. And I think that was a lot of people's view, like point of view when like, yeah, he's a Simic, uh, you know, guild or whatever. Like, a, I mean, you know, when you what are we meant to call? Like- I think they're... They were aiming for two things, or at least there were two things I think we as players wanted from these these five colleges and the decks, I guess. You mm. wanted them to be different enough aesthetically from what yep. we got in Ravnica for the guilds, and we also wanted exactly. them to play differently. Um, and for the most part, I think they hit at least one of the two quadrants. I felt like Wither Witherbloom tends to hew pretty closely to Golgari in a lot of ways aesthetically. Yeah, but it doesn't, just but it doesn't play like stuff, Golgari. Yeah. That's right. Whereas yeah. Quandrix doesn't really look at all like Simic, but it does play a little Simic-y. But like, okay, I'll, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the fact that at least it doesn't look like Simic. I think they, yeah. if, if they didn't succeed in both of those fronts, they at least mostly did it on one. Lorehold, they did it on both, I felt like. Um, and on Lordhold, actually, one thing that's kind of nice too is like you have quite a bit of equipment stuff in, yeah. going on in Boros. Um, they didn't do that in this one. They they kind of lean more into artifact, but there's also a lot of overlap there. So it doesn't feel mm. it, it feels like even if you're playing an equipment deck in Boros, you probably got some cards that still work in it. Um, and, and there's you know if you're building a artifact themed deck using Lordhold, maybe some of the old Boros stuff that cares about equipment works nicely in your deck. So I think they. They did a pretty decent job all around. Uh, they, there was definitely some some things. I, I, like Simic is a good example. I, I think the Simic yeah, yeah. and Quandrix play style are very similar with just kind of a different skin on the top of it. But, mm. I mean, a, a few things that, that, that weren't perfect I'm fine with. Yeah. I, I th- You made a great point the other day, uh, I think um – yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was you, Dana, about the like wizards doing everything they can to make us uh, play three mana rocks, and that made yeah. me smile. There was like, it's true that I remember what was it the video last year? I think there was the everyone got a bit shaken up by uh, um, a, a big podcast going, well, oh, you don't want to play these three mana rocks because they're a waste of time, and they're like, you know, they're they're not worth it. Like a, you know, what's the one makes all your chromatic lantern and stuff like that. Yeah. Play that. That's fine. But I, it's, it was very true and it was very poignant. Like that way that was collected, those like examples, like, yeah, dead right. Like there's some really good three mana rocks that do something else. And like the, what's the one? The, the clock basically that does, you know, 12 Midnight turns. Clock. Yeah. Yeah. And like Midnight Clock is amazing. I love playing that anytime I'm playing blue and it's, um, just for one of your ramp pieces that does something else, refills your hand, whatever. And I'm looking at, there's one, I know there's a, there's a few around, but like one in particular I, I loved, and this is the kind of thing I'll dig cursed mirror in, in red. So two and a red yeah. artifact taps to red, but when it ends the battlefield, you just may have a copy, uh, become a copy of any creature on the battlefield and just gets haste. So you're like, it comes out swinging as a copy of a creature, which could do anything. Like, and because it, it enters, it could be like an Avenger of Zendikar. So you get a bunch of plants. And then later on, it's just a mana rock. So it's just cool design on like your vegetables, I like to put it. Like, there's, you, yeah. you're going to need, you're going to need to add the stuff to the deck. Uh, you know, you don't need to, of course, like ramp, but like generally for tempo for you know it just feels nicer to be you know working at a decent pace and mana rocks are of course those vegetables you know i think that's a good example of something like i think they've kind of figured out their design rhythms in terms of Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. making stuff too busted for commander two we had a window there where i was getting kind of concerned with the the two lanes and core of the world and yeah 
the like no downside throw, stuff. I, I will throw a disclaimer out there because people do get mad when I criticize those cards. If you dig Corvald and your playgroup is playing at that power level and everyone's doing that, that is, I'm, I'm not criticizing you for liking yeah. Corvald or your playgroup for liking Corvald. Um, but in a general sense, most people aren't playing at the power level. And when mm. you show up at a table with a Corvald, it's accidentally going to be stronger than most decks around you. Yeah. Um, and then it forces everyone else playing in that pod or playing in your meta to adapt to that or lose every game and or at least the majority of their games. And there was a bunch of those, whether it was <clears throat> Corvald and Chulain in the Brawl decks or um, things like, you know, Taysa Karlov is really strong or, or mm. Morophon or uh, Muldrotha. Like, <laughs> People were saying this way, had, Golos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like everything just baked right into the commander that did what you wanted. And, and they were doing a lot of that, I felt like. And I'm like, oh, no, the game's moving in this direction where you need to play one of these bomb commanders or there's a good chance you're going to you're going to lose. And, and and then what does it look like three years from now when we've got another 25 of those? But yeah. it seems like they've kind of pulled the ripcord a little bit and st and stopped making those that were super strong. I think the last big one is what, maybe Urza? Um, that yeah, felt like it was And even then, super by busted. comparison, it's in one yeah. color that, that felt right, like right. more of a downside, you know? Like, it's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, Exactly. So I, I think they, they've kind of figured that out. They're like, oh, okay, you know, like a lot of the things that draw a card right now that we've got in the last year mm. or two, it's just one instance. Okay, for the second spell you play this turn, draw a card, but that's it. It's not going to give you an, an engine to draw your entire deck and win the game. So I, I've, they've, they've kind of tempered that. I think that the Mana Rocks is a good example. Yes, we mm -hmm. got Arcane Signet and we finished the Talisman cycle and that's, you know, useful. However... They're making you, you know, they're, they're making me at least want to run a few of those three mana rocks now because totally. they're strong enough and effective enough. And that does slow things down a little bit too. And I think generally speaking, that's probably positive and it probably matches most people's play style as well. Mm -hmm. So I think they have gotten kind of a handle on it in the last year. The stuff we've seen has, I, I think, synced a little bit more with the way most players play because I was a little concerned things were leaning a little too spiky, but I, I think they've kind of figured that out. And I think it's it's just like to to uh, a linear scale of just objective power and just objective value, that kind of thing was always like, it just got a little bit, you know, and that's the thing. I never want to discourage people from playing the command they want to oh, yeah, play. Yeah. It could be anything. And I've heard of people with Tulane decks that are tell us a story Tulane type stuff. And like, and sure. it could be, yeah, it's almost the equivalent of cosplaying. It's like, oh, I love this. It represents this. And I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, go for it. That's sweet. Um, or just play the, you know, play the deck you want, of course. But um, exactly. Th there was... It, it, it was really nice, and I, I realized that um, I think it was Commander Legends that kind of did it, and maybe it's a factor of this being developed a few years back uh, in the beginning. It felt like it had a few of those weirder Commander cards of yore, like that was like a lot of people like, why would I play this? Like a wrong turn or something. Uh, and mm -hmm. and there's some of those Commanders too had some really interesting abilities that were they weren't obvious how you'd build that. Like, they're like, oh, this could be anything kind of thing. And I start, start to see, definitely I'm feeling that a little bit in this set, that there's some really interesting abilities that aren't necessarily like, I think there's been a bit of flack going like, oh, but white card draw doesn't mean group hug type thing, you know? And I know that's a whole right. other thing. <laughs> but like, there's there's a couple of really interesting ones. Like, the one, one that stood out to me was in the Oars, uh, I keep saying Oars off, Silver Quill, so, sorry. Uh, the the Silver Quill deck being cutting, cunning rhetoric and it was two and a black enchantment whenever an opponent attacks you and one or more Planeswalkers you control. Exile the top card of that player's library. You may play it as long as it um, remains exiled, that kind of thing. So you get advantage of them attacking. It's one of those ones... 
It's a conversation piece. It could be anything. Uh, who knows? And it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a strange, strange ability to have me, like, deterring me from attacking. I can still attack, but they may get value type thing. It's just like, um, I, I love that kind of stuff. I think it's strange. It's not objectively great. Could be anything. Um, but without also being chaos, I think. Like, it's not just so yeah. unpredictable. It's silly, you know, like, which there's a time and place for that. But yeah. Well, the, the part you talked about Commander Legends, I was a little bit worried going to that as well because I, oh, yeah. I am not. A, oh, yeah. I am not a fan of the original partners, and I, I know people liked them. Um, my issue was I, I felt like a lot of them just lent themselves to assembling a list of effective cards and whatever commanders worked best for your chosen list. You picked those two partners. Mm. there was a lot of those decks built using the original partner series where like, I'm just going to slap Tesa in with, or not Tesa, um, who's the, the, the black white commander that draws you cards. I've just not blanked on the name. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. The cleric. Whatever. Anyway. Right. You slap that with the other one. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Timna, Timna the Weaver. Timna, Timna. So, yeah. you know, Hey, I want, I want to slap Timna with, with, you know, Thrasios or something like you just mix and match generic value commander with generic value commander exactly atop yeah. whatever list of generic value cards you want to assemble um which is not what at least i want from a game it's not particularly interesting to build for me it's not particularly interesting to play against it kind of lost a bit like of identity was, you know yeah yeah and there was i feel like a lot of those commanders leaned in that direction so i was a little bit worried when we were going to get you know 40 new <laughs> partners or whatever it was like oh no but they man they didn't do that like they oh, they were yeah. all almost all very interesting and they suggested a way to build without even necessarily being on rails. Yep. There's a lot of interesting combinations. I think they did a very nice job dodging the pitfalls of the first go round. Yeah. It was specific and it was like, it was in a way that I, I wasn't really uh, interested in brewing command, uh, sorry, partner commanders, like for the kind of the reasons you outline, I was like, it just feels a little bit like it doesn't have an identity or anything, or mm-hmm. it's, not, it's just trying to do, everything and it's like eh, like and it doesn't it's just a bit too like broad or vague or whatever um you know with with those original two color commanders and then like the the master stroke going hey in this set these are a mythic especially if you're playing this in limited or whatever because the options to like pair a two color commander that's got partner uh just absolutely compound how many like pathways you can go down it's a very powerful thing and then you've got all these very specific kind of um, rare and then uncommon partner like single color commanders and they were just absolute master strokes and for that reason like now it's just i i can look at half of those and go cool i could do i mean kraken sakashima is a bit of a meme now like that's that's a thing whatever <laughs> sure uh, the the one i really enjoyed was like kind of you go halfway between to make a three color deck and so i went uh akiri and iktekik to make golems and like that feels nice. like it's a deck with an identity and the commanders make uh sense without just being generically valued but they've got you know they're, they're specific in a way so there's so many of those pathways that I've seen a lot of people making and, you know, like Togo and uh, what's the Silas Wren, that kind of stuff. Like it's yeah. still three color, but it's like, it's got an identity. It's really, really cool. Well, like I sure. never saw Silas Wren get played at all back no, in neither. the day. <laughs> but, but suddenly now we got, you know, a couple of white commanders, the white partners that cared about artifacts and a couple of black ones that cared about artifacts. And suddenly there's like six different interesting combinations you could make with Silas if you wanted to, depending on what direction you wanted to go. Um, it, it opened up a lot of fun pathways mm-hmm. that didn't exist previously mm-hmm. without causing many problems. So that yeah. that 
the, the amount of time I, I know Gavin has talked about how much time they spent on that set and it yeah. shows it really was fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Um, also have to shout out to, um, I mean, while you're here and um, to talk about your fantastic editor on CMDR central, um, looking at the, <laughs> the, the, Chesh, the 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 I want to say Simic deck, the the Quandrix deck has one of the coolest mono green commanders I've ever seen. Yeah. Rocks of the Patient Professor and uh, and and Ursa Bearwalker. Raphael, of course, just absolutely swooned over this one. It's like everyone, like R.I.P. Inbox. Everyone's just like, yeah, look at she commander. It's amazing, and it's like it's a bear for four mana that has Muraganda Petroglyph literally like, kind of printed on it. Like it's or like a halfway like a plus one buff. And they do cool combat damage stuff, but it's just so charming and, and awesome. So um, yeah, always just have to. I want to always shout out um, uh, Ursa Bearwalker where possible for he being is, an awesome he human. A, like yes, he is. He's just generally a great person. So and, and does great work. But yeah, fantastic guy. Great bear, exactly. So I, uh, I have something to 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 add to the discussion around seeing the new commanders. Yeah, go for it. Uh, and that is. Hey Sam, what hey, is Chesh. my favorite thing to do in Commander? Oh, uh, hopefully we get Happy Chess here. Your favorite thing to do is prowess. Okay, second favorite Com- thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, like but draw cards, storm. Like, is, <laughs> is completely no, no, no. To playing big stupid spells. Oh yeah, yeah, we love that. And now I have a Commander that I can play big. 10 plus CMC stupid instance or sorceries. Oh, you're looking at the start fire. bolting people to the face because I want to. So bad. <laughs> and, and this character's a conductor. We're talking about the same one, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, we are. I, I really dig the musical themes and theater yeah. themes of, um, of Prisma. And I think they've done such a cool job. And there's something, there's a point. Um, hope you, I, I think maybe you understand this, Chesh, as well. Like that uh, it was, who was it? Gabe from the Lexicon community, um, IceTep on Twitter, absolute legend, fantastic person. Um, was I was talking to him about it yesterday, and he goes, "I love the way those suspend spells have a cadence to." Or like I said, cadence. That's probably the wrong musical word, but he said they've got a rhythm and they've got a flow that's almost like a time signature. So you see these inspiring refrain and rousing refrain. They're they're mm-hmm. spells that re-suspend themselves. So every three turns, you're getting an effect, and it re like it's mm-hmm. a cast trigger, it's everything, and it's like there's this amazing rhythm to the game. Well, I never thought about that. They're literally playing music in the art, and like that's what's happening. I was like, that's pretty pretty cool. Where like mm-hmm. top is it top down design? Like basically, you know, like yep. design and and uh, in in art and and concept and mechanics all gel together in an amazing way. So mm. yeah, love that to bits. But but so here's the thing with the Prismari performance deck yeah with um zafai uh so have you read the full well i just saw if mana value is 10 or greater zafai deals 10 damage to an opponent chosen at random kind of like um uh vial smasher which is cool if if you cast or Or copy copy. yeah or copy yeah it's crazy i'm loving this text yeah so this this so, do we know what Magecraft is? Is that something I need to worry about? No, it's whenever you cast or copy as... as It's yeah, more just capitalizing on the yeah. fact that I think maybe it's also like... A, it could be a, a newer player thing. And something still trips me up too. It's like, oh, are we getting that effect triggering on the copy? And it's no, because like that's not casting. But this is the like way to shore that up. It's like pretty much... It reminds me of um, uh, Sir Conrad. It's like anything hits the graveyard, that's a trigger. And it's like anything's a spell, it's a trigger kind of thing. It's like there's no, you don't have to worry about like what's not and what is that kind of thing. It's just 
And so it's, I know that's nuts with like the, uh, the Liliana or the other abilities that did the whole discard spell where you can just keep looping it, but whatever. Uh, I, I think it's really cool. Like for sure. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I'm running it through my head cause I'm like, uh, there are a lot of copies in this too. Like, and there's, there's yeah, there they've, are. They've, they've done a way to like some of the abilities that is it keyworded, uh, demonstrate it is keyworded. So demonstrate being a really interesting politic kind, kind of one that again, this is what I was saying. I think that the masterstroke of, uh, I know I'm keen to see how much these get played, but like, it's not group hug. It's not chaos, but it's like, it's the tempt with discovery type deal. Like you demonstrate it, you get a copy, uh, and then someone else gets a copy. So if you want two yeah. of them, like you have to give one to someone else. And sometimes they could use that against you. That's fine. But I kind of generally like those effects and I think they make interesting discussions. So yeah. You know, and and you're not forced. Like if you're, because the problem sometimes with those situations is if you are leading, if you're ahead, you know, yeah, no one's yeah. going to help you out or or they're going to use the thing against you or whatever. In this case, if you're ahead, you just don't copy it, you know, and yeah. maybe you pay a little bit more, but whatever, it's still going to be effective. If you're behind, then you can use it and use your copy and have your, you know, have somebody else use their copy to nail the person who's ahead. Yeah, and I, so, I yeah, think it's re- really elegant that it's not. You yeah, know, I agree. Uh, traditionally, it's been like this is a, a group cup, uh, a, a group hug card or whatever. Like it's just not a like he's not going to win the game with it. But it's like no, it's you've, you've got kind of it's very subtly modal in a really cool way. Yeah, agreed. As I was um, I was thinking that actually the other day with Bramble Sovereign was a was a card that that kind of came to mind in that kind of effect that it's like it's just generally great like making copies of things like the four mana four four that. When something enters, anyone's side of the board, you pay the one to green and that person gets a, a copy of it. You can completely just selfishly use it for yourself. But it's the type of one, it's if you're behind, whatever, you can you can offer favors to people. Like it's it's opening up that those kind of lanes of the game, which is always really, really interesting kind of thing. Um, well, I've always also, been, been, go ahead, Josh. Do we know if Soul Ring and Commander Tower are actually rares in this Commander set? No, they're not, are they? They're the, showing up as rare on the maybe Magic that's side. I might be seeing the wrong. Oh, that's the Coldheim JPEG. I don't know. I yeah, think, I don't know. I think they are. I think they're in every deck. I believe they are. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But like, like those, those, um, those. What do you call it? Rarity ratings are very much throwaway when it comes to Commander, right? Like the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think the only ones where really matter so, is Mythics. So. I think those are the ones that are unique to the deck. But I think beyond mm, that, yeah. I think they're all kind of they're pretty subjective. Yeah, fair, fair. Mm. Now, and also there was a storm card in this set, in uh, in this this deck, yeah. Chesh. A storm card. <laughs> the, the the mad people they've done it. That's it's great. Anyway, I mean, it has dig through time, so you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but that, I mean, yeah, we could keep unpacking those. I think we're. Um, uh, I'm I'm really. I've got to the point where I'm very much warmed up to this um, this kind of set as well, especially because of the the kind of commander cards that have come out in, in will, the set. I will still say that I am not happy with their portrayal oh. <laughs> of uh, of of goths and uh, Asian people. So yeah, uh, and that's that, there's been those conversations, of course, and it's I mean it's it's funny that the uh, the the what do you call it? The Witherbloom deck is actually the one, uh, despite those things we talked about and theme notwithstanding, whatever, 
he's been the deck and now I'm looking at I'm like I look at all this stuff and I want to play this stuff even though it probably does what kind of a lot of Golgari's done before that's fine but there's just some really cool things going on like the Blossoming Bog Beast which is like another Pathbreaker Ibex for life gain that's pretty cool and then the thing um, Nick uh, aka Plaid Clad from um, Scrap Trawlers was getting really excited about and I'm like I need to see this he's brewing Guillaume the master chef which is like they made <laughs> nice. a chef that's so cool like I love that <laughs> but yeah uh, it's gonna be good there's, there's, um, there's some good stuff uh, around the corner of course um, I didn't mention it but like I'm sure everyone saw like there's some pretty ugly stuff going on with the community uh, in regards to this particular pre-con getting uh previewed by a loading ready run which i kind of i don't want to touch on it too much to kind of like i don't bring the moon down or whatever but it's more that there's a couple of people said it's like they're almost a little bit embarrassed to be part of a commander community when that's that's what people do which is like people getting upset for a a preview of a deck like being six hours into a stream and somehow feeling entitled and like being you know slighted or something and it's like for them to gain some kind of advantage and it's like no it's just wait like it's we don't get the decks for a few weeks anyway it does not matter seriously like it's it's a game let's have fun so i don't know i i just that was one yesterday i know that um that it was almost that point you're like i just want to step away for a day if, if that's going on that's it's a bit too gross kind of thing it was such a ridiculous thing to get mad about it was. um yeah because don't get me wrong like you know it, it happened during my work day so I specifically was like, okay, the ones are stream going live all at one o'clock. Okay, I'll make sure I tune in at one o'clock to see what the deck list is. And I, I, I took my lunch late to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, they're playing, and it's not going to stream for. Oh, geez, it could be any point in the next five hours. Okay, well then I'm just going to go eat my lunch. <laughs> like, like, do, yeah. I, I would have preferred that the deck was there at one o'clock when I thought it was going to be there, like it was the previous four days, and when it wasn't. I went and ate lunch. <laughs> it just wasn't exactly. a big deal. Like, it's just like day. I, I, you know, I would have preferred it been it been more clearly like explained when they were going to do the pre-release. But just getting mad at people, not just mad, like being insulting in the yeah. way people were insulting, incredibly Although, hostile. You yeah. know, yeah, it was just nuts. But also, I I would like to think it wasn't that many people and it was probably the same people that are awful most of the time. Yeah, like but the vocal minority. Even, exactly. But but that's that's no consolation if you are someone on Loading Ready Run who's dealing with it. Like, okay, right. so it's so it's a small group of people. That's still unnecessary and terrible and yeah. It's yeah, exactly. it was embarrassing. Yeah. And anyway, so I mean with that with that pre con in mind and, and the last point I was gonna to touch on is um the every one of these is always like a, a weird commander that speaks to me and I don't know why and I just kind of build it. Lathiel is that in Commander Legends and I love Lathiel. Like forever deck type territory. I love Lathiel and I never see anyone play it and it's just a glorious horse. This one, as I alluded to at the start of the episode, Dina Soulsteeper is the one that's got my eye. That's like, <laughs> this is the freaking coolest. Like, it's it's a tea drinker. She's rad. Uh, it's two mana. And I, I, I could play more two mana commanders because they just feel cool because you're like just on the board straight away. It's awesome. And whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. And then something about sacking a creature and Dina getting huge and whatever. That doesn't even matter. It's just like, it's a type of effect that you could build a bunch of different ways. I just like it because it's, She's just cool and drinking tea. And um, yeah, so that's that's going to be the one I think I attack first. Also, Sapling of Colfinor in the deck, a uh, an old favorite nice. of mine. 
That's it's nice to I'm see that too. kind of rebirth. Yeah, well, I, I, I can never figure out how to build it. I, I tried a few no, times. Neither. I never <laughs> yeah, I can never like figure out what I wanted to do, but I, I always wanted to do it. I could just never crack it. Totally. One of my favorite things ever was like um, uh, oh, years ago. I think Graham um, from Loading Ready Run was on um, uh, Command Zone, and they're like, "What? Oh, what kind of decks you play? Everything?" And he's like, "We're going to talk about Sapling of Colfin." I'm like, "Hell yeah! No one's talking about Sapling <laughs> of Colfin." And he's like, "Pretty much just chucked all the trees in." I'm like. Yeah, fair deuce. Like, that, that works. Um, but yeah, anyway, I just want to play Colfinner's Urn, which is a card I've got that just goes with the deck as well. It's perfect. It's yeah. a pot. Like, and it does <laughs> nothing crazy, but it's like, it's actually pretty cool. But like, yeah, you, you it, when things die that are for toughness, I believe, they all get sucked into the pot. And then something happens. I think if three things died, can't even remember the card. Anyway, they all explode out of the pot and you've got new trees. So that's a fun card I've been meaning to play with Sapling of Colfinor and I'll figure it out sometime soon for sure. Nice. I love it. Um, cool. So what we're going to do anyway is is probably just move. Uh, generally, uh, Dana, I just want to talk about a little bit, you know, um, I, I get a little bit retrospective. That's what we do. And, and I kind of always want to look forward, but you know, what we've kind of learned from the last year or so and, and the way that's changed, uh, the way you look at Commander and the way interaction has worked and, and Spell Table being a massive conduit to that and, and how you're feeling about the game moving forward kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, just, just you know, uh, you can be as brief or as long-winded as you want to, but it's like, you know, generally how you felt about like your relationship with the game changing over the last year. Um, man, it's, it's been such a weird year, obviously, <laughs> for COVID reasons. Um mm. Particularly um, in my case, I think because, you know, roughly in January of last year was when EDH RecCast went from just being audio to, to doing the YouTube um, show mm. that's, you know, produced by Command Zone and looks really, really good. And that really right. changed our visibility um, in the community Um but then there were no events. So, like, mm. I, I think in the past when people have, have kind of gotten more successful in terms of content creation and gotten that next level of of notoriety or, or, or whatever you want to call it, um, there's events you go to and, like, you kind of realize what that means. We haven't had that. <laughs> so, mm, mm. so I've really struggled with with understanding. And we, we, we actually discussed this off the air a little bit, um, discussed – the changing role I have myself within the community, such as it is. I mean, I'm definitely not like someone I would that's that well known, but mm. I'm a more well known than I was a year or two ago, mm. and so that that impacts how I have to interact with people as well. And because I haven't been face to face and haven't been at events, it's been much more theoretical than it has been like practical i haven't gone yeah. to events like wow it's much different at vegas this year than it was a year before because people recognize who i am i haven't had that so mm. so it I, i've had to kind of like force myself to realize things a little bit different in my interactions um so that's one thing that's really changed in the last year i would say um at least for me personally um spell table you mentioned i think is going to stick around and going to continue to be a big deal. Um, yeah. You know, Max uses it in Commander Central a lot. We use it on the EDH RecCast when we stream on Twitch. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I have a good shop here in town who have owners that I'm friends with and are good people and is within walking distance of my house if I want to. So I can go play on Commander Night and they stay open till midnight so I can like jam you know, seven hours of games if I'm so inclined. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Most people, however, are not in that position. And in the past, they've had to either make long drives to shops or short drives to mediocre shops or long drives to <laughs> mediocre shops, maybe. That's right. Yeah. In, in, or, or have nothing at all, you know, or, or play with a small friend group where they were seeing the same decks every week and it was a relatively stagnant meta. Spell table has really opened that up, I think, for a lot of people. And I, I don't, I would imagine, there's some people that will not use it anymore, but I would imagine the community as a whole will continue to take advantage of that moving forward. And that's yeah, a really definitely. good thing, I think, for everybody. I think so too. And it's definitely helped us out, like literally on the other side of the world from you guys. And then we wouldn't have any mm-hmm. business interacting as much with um, all these amazing people we have in the last year without that kind of happening. And it's like, it, it, it really, it has to exist for us. <clears throat> Um, but you know, like uh, the commander community is pretty good around here, but it's, I I even find a lot of them don't even get on the webcam. They're just like, oh, they just literally didn't play last year. And it's yeah, sure. It's fine. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's that. And it's also that like you talk about, I think importantly, having those things, they don't need to be mutually exclusive. They both feed into each other because you can't replicate that amazing vibe of like you say in the store and it's just everyone's in in the mood and like it's just great and like we're all hanging out and then like I say at my house when I got to do that with my friends and like we all you know we, we were all just having a great time vibing and I was like oh it's just nice to not like I can grab someone's card on the other side of the board you know like yeah. that kind of stuff again <laughs> but at the same time it's like I it was always that thing with spell table my I had this preconceived notion of it getting into it my like, oh, it's going to be really hard to do these things with dexterity and like manage to you know, steel permanence and all that stuff. And that's like, we figured out pretty much everything, infinity tokens, whatever. It was just the great like MacGyver kind of push to like, I think the commander community just became resourceful. It's like, we would just figure it out. And most importantly, there's a conversation that helps us figure it out every time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's huge what it's meant to like see who's who's playing how and like they inspire you to, to build different ways and then different perspectives. Like you say, it's, I think the biggest thing for me, I was in a game the other day and it just, I was just like, I had to take a moment to go, this is awesome. Like playing with, uh, I think Lenny Woolley was in the game. So there's Lenny, there's uh, Lauren from Alaska. There was, um, I can't remember his name, um, amazing guy from Colombia. And it's like, we're around the world having a commander game right now. Exactly. And having the best time. Like this is the best. So yeah. I think they always have to exist. And then like you say, I think there's going to be a very special time when, like uh as as you mentioned like you'll you'll go to an event and realize oh <laughs> people knew who you were <laughs> exactly really know who uh, you I'm, are now and, and that's yeah. gonna be interesting that's right and I'm, like i think the friends we've made along the way i just i can't wait to give out you know safety of course like when we can travel it will be safe I, yeah ideally. but it's like to give out hugs galore kind of thing <laughs> well in in so i just got my second shot um yesterday oh nice second nice. second vaccine and, and as did max yeah and um uh, uh, two other friends of ours one has had both his because he's a doctor for for several months and a, a fourth guy we used to play with just got his second one last week so we're about two weeks away from like being at that that safe inflection point mm. and, and we all work from home anyway for the most part so Right before COVID hit, we were all getting together usually the first Friday night of the month and playing yeah, at my yeah. house where we would we would like buy a nice bottle of scotch and then nice. like you know split it four ways and drink it and play like four or five games until you know one one in the morning. Um, and then of course COVID hit and we we only we stopped doing that for a year essentially. Mm. And now we're we're within striking distance of next month being comfortable doing that again. Yeah. So. 
I can't wait to do that again too. Um, but that isn't going to replace like that's a different experience that's than right. it is jumping on spell table and playing with someone from Columbia and playing with Lenny yeah, Lowy yeah. and playing like 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 those are those those are very different things and having the option to do both of those two things in the same week is not something I want to give up. Absolutely, and that's key. I think, and you guys touch on that really well in the um your kind of question series. As was it, you guys uh, reached was it two hundred and fifty episodes with CMB yeah, Central? Yeah, yeah, and is is that amazing question series from the um the listeners and uh, Max mentioned it too. It's like there's you can't also replace the I've got two three hours free like in a in a busy schedule type thing, but like hey, here's my window. I don't have to put on pants. I can just rock up over right, the, yeah. like, the computer. <laughs> sure. It's there. It's like, yeah, exactly. And it's so, yeah, I think that's really important to always acknowledge that it's going to be pretty special and the game is different now. And, and like, it's more open than it's ever been. So look forward to um, seeing how that grows. And, and as we all kind of return back to normal, it's going to well, be. Um, I will also be curious to see, because one of the things, at least on Spell Table, people have gotten really good at the Rule Zero conversation, at least the game, most yeah. of the games I've played. And that's right. That's also was a relatively new concept, um, you know, pre-COVID. Um, so some of that might be just time has has helped spread that a little bit more too. But I'll be really curious to see how that maintains itself playing at shops and stuff again moving forward. I am hoping that now becomes – that that's the norm face-to-face. But yeah. spell table people have definitely, I think, for the most part, done a very good job with that. Yeah, I think the optimist in me has seen that um, a lot of people had to get out of their comfort zones that might usually just play in the same pods like all the time. Yeah, I think and, so. And, and inherently that creates an environment, say it's in the store or whatever, the newer player comes along and doesn't want to join. They're like, oh, they look like yeah. they're a bit too intimidating, that kind of thing. But a lot of us have had to get out of the zone and just go, hey, we're playing with new people every single time. And like yep. as if it's always that kind of GP um, situation or whatever and and or Magic Fest. And it's like you've got it. We've just got to be, um, you know, we, we all need to be on the same page to to contribute to the quality of the game and make sure we all enjoy it. And that I think made people better communicators, like ideally. And then, yeah, if that means that more people are welcome to the games when in like a store kind of setting, I think that's a massive win. And like that needs to, that's always needed to happen in my opinion anyway. So yeah, love it. Agreed. Um, well, what are we going to do anyway? We've, um, that's, I always say it now, that's like, that's a ton of magic we've talked about, which is delightful. <laughs> um, but if, if, if we can, we're going to move uh, down the different, uh, you know, the side pathway and um, try and find out a little bit more about the the person that is Dana Roach and uh, the inspirations, the, the the kind of the strange kind of backgrounds of, uh, you know, everyone is interesting is the whole reason we do this and we just love asking these questions. So um, we, we, we have to ask to start this, this whole section off um, in our guest profile questions. We always throw throw the uh, the biggest barometer of what kind of person someone is, and we completely judge you for it. Um, pineapple and pizza, Dana. Uh, Dana what's the uh, the go for you? It's a no. I, I don't like things that are sweet <laughs> on my pizza. Um, I like cheers. salty stuff on my pizza. I like I like pepperoni that's so crispy it shatters. Yeah, um, I like olives. I, I like my pizza salty. I don't like it sweet. Yeah, the, like so salty, you wake up in the middle of the night and you need yeah. to drink a yeah. liter of water. Like that's always the mark of a good pizza. You're like far out, I'm dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, Chesh, you got the next one up there? I mean, I think I do. Yeah, do. Uh, <laughs> pet card that you love may not be the best card in the world, but just something you love. 
Um, you know, the one that jumps to mind because I, I just played it this week in a game was Psychic Possession. It's an enchantment oh, from, I, I think, the first Ravnica block. Um, and basically, you skip your draw step, and when someone else draws a card, the person that you have put this enchantment on, whenever they draw, you draw. So at the very least, you're drawing when they draw on their draw step. But, like, usually you can eyeball and figure out who the person is that's going to be drawing a ton of cards or the person mm-hmm. who just played a sylvan library and you're like oh nice i'm just gonna draw three cards every single turn <laughs> off you for nothing it's so good yeah it, it's a it, but it also it's a relatively fair card too and it doesn't like have That's any fine. are you gonna pay the one like it's it's just there on somebody else and they are giving you cards based on what they do so yeah you know what real there's there's better things to be doing in blue um in terms of card draw but it's a fun card and it doesn't see much play. So like most of the time when I drop it on somebody, they're like, what is that? <laughs> Which is always fun too. Exactly. I love cards that incite that kind of like visceral response of like, yes, how have I never seen this? What does this thing do? It does actually hurt me, but I feel thing. weird and, and violated a little bit. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the first time I played it too, I was playing with a friend who had, I think it was a cast deck he had, and he was tapped out when I cast it on him. And he just looks at it and looks at his hand and then like grabs a card and reads it again and sets it down, looks at his hand again, and then just leans over and showed me his hand. And it was like brainstorm and faithless looting. And like he literally had like five draw spells in his hand and that's all he had. <laughs> I'll take like, them all. I, yeah, you're right. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, what do you do? And the so, master strike, um, the ones that have the discard downside, you're like, well, I'll just take on. Exactly. I'm yeah. like, nope, I do not have to. I'm just going to draw. I don't have to discard with you. I just have to draw with you. Oh, that's perfect. That's uh, you can always count on you for some wacky blue spells that um, make me smile. <laughs> um, I, I was talking about one the other day, and it's um, I've played in a deck and actually did a couple of things, which I was surprised. But uh, from visions, yeah, it's visions, I think one blue mana for enchant creature betrayal, and it just goes. <laughs> you play it on a creature and opponent controls, and if it becomes that creature becomes tapped, you just draw a card. So it's like yeah, you choose your targets, of course, but like someone's got a mana dog, someone's got something else, like. It's usually like low impact and they're just like, oh, it's fine. You draw a card, but it's 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 just a funny little one that I, I've enjoyed throwing on. And the same thing, like, what? Oh, I feel violated, but fine. <laughs> like, yeah, fine. Have your cards. Exactly. It's great. I, I have a I have a Talrand deck that um, is, is basically a token deck. It's built around like playing cantrips and like cheap draw spells to make drakes. And it's, so it's not a combo deck. I'm winning mm. the uh, tokens almost always. And I have a ton of these old like, Cards that you, you know, Latinam's Legacy, you know, yeah. it's a two mana blue instant speed where you, <laughs> you choose you a card from and shuffle card. it away and draw two. Yeah. But like, it, that's a fantastic card in that deck. And, and basically, every time I played against Joey, I cast one of these filters. He's like, what is that? What is, you know, what's, I who's running Perilous Research out of Cold Snap? Like, things like that I've got in that deck, which are, they're not bad cards, are genuinely good there, but. When you're running, you know, 36 instants that all have the word card draw in it, you're going to have to dig pretty deeply sometimes. That's right. That's right. That reminds me of the um, the mono white one that I've seen people use for card draw, Oblation, which is like just uh, oh, shuffle, so that no- shuffle that non-line permanent into your library. And yeah. if it's a crappy token, one one doesn't matter. It's like anything. And you draw two cards in white. In and, and if someone speed. swings a white steel at you, well, okay, I'll, ra- I'll go ahead and draw two cards. The white exactly. steel's gone. Like I would, that's, that's still a good trade. Yeah, it's uh, it it it's it's 
protect its attack. You know, it does everything. <laughs> yep. <perfect. laughs> no, the um, uh, what was the other one? Sorry, the um, uh, the one in the blue cantrip again. The shuffle the card into the library. The oh, Latinam's legacy. Well, yeah, Latinam's legacy. I meant I've been mean to pick one of them up because I run a jury and polymorph deck, and that's the type of effect that's actually super handy. So sometimes you get all the you know the stupid stuff that you're actually not meant to be casting in your hand, and it's like, well, how about I just shuffle it back in the library? And that's that's a really important <laughs> exactly. effect. Yep, love it. Dig it. So, um, oh, next one was uh, who would you like most like to have dinner or drink with, dead or alive, real or fictional? Um, you know, this this was so the first couple answers I came up with, I'm like, okay, in theory that would be fun, but I I, <laughs> I don't know in reality because the first couple ones I was thinking of, uh, David Foster Wallace is a writer who's yeah, yeah. writing. I, I adore, um, but. As a person, <laughs> there's been the last few years some relatively uh, questionable things about his character that have came out. So I'm like, okay, well, I, mm. do I want to have dinner with that guy considering some of those things? Um, historically, there, there's an American uh, figure named John Brown who was an abolitionist. Um, John Brown, a, a, as, a, as a historical figure, I have a lot of respect for because he wasn't one of those a- abolitionists who – you know, thought slavery was was wrong, but also maybe didn't have a lot of respect for mm. people that weren't white. He literally thought everyone was created equal and was a man of his of his word. And, and when it came to like fighting against slavery, his his you know thought process was: if you own slaves, we should just kill you. There's no conversation mm. to be had. We should just go kill every slaveholder. And I kind of respect a man mm. who like looked at things through that lens back in the day. But again, that's also pretty extreme. And he was you know kind of a religious fanatic as well. I don't know how much fun he would be to hang out with for a drink, assuming he even drank. I don't know if he did. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, it's, so, I have no idea what you'd be getting. <laughs> I just see an article now. Um, John John Brown was a violent crusader, but he blazed a moral exactly, path. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like yeah. Exactly. If, and he's a fascinating dude. But yeah, I don't know how enjoyable that experience would be. The one I came up with, I think, is John Peel. Um, he was a, a British DJ, um, 70s and 80s, into the 90s a little bit, um, oh, into the 2000s actually even. Um, the thing about Peel that's impressive is there has been over the years so many bands and songs oh. I have discovered Ooh. just by going through things he liked. Um, there's a relatively famous list of like albums he kept by his front door that, that was the box he would grab if his house started on fire. Yeah. And oh, just like go, everything in that list is a fantastic song that's semi obscure. You know, it's not something that you would, for the most part, know unless you were a bit of a music nerd. Um, he is somebody who, over the years, has just been pitch perfect in terms of providing me songs I would like. So mm. I would really love to sit down and see what other things he could suggest to me beyond what's readily available already from from looking at like different lists he's compiled. I love that idea that it's like it's it's you know music a lot of the time can be especially if it's got to do with commercial um, realities of things it's like no it's just got to be what's ubiquitously uh, accepted and popular and all that stuff and for that it just I just saw that one of the first things one of the first people uh, broadcasters to to play psychedelic and progressive rock and that speaks to my soul absolutely and then I was looking at um, like you say the uh, the list uh, where is it 1997 the garden asked Peter 
list his top 10, 20 albums. He said Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask Replica is his number yeah, one. Yeah, and it's a work of art. Like, that? Oh, oh, yeah. that is amazing. Like, it's so cool. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, I need to scour this list kind of thing. He, he was one of the first people to to really kind of push the white stripes as being a, like a legitimate yeah, yeah. artistic band. And, and to be someone who who was back in the day into Captain Beefheart and still were able to maintain your kind of connection with music mm. 30 years later when the white stripes were a thing, that's not a thing the average person is able to mentally keep their brain that elastic in terms of like taking in new forms of music. That's, that's a yeah. very impressive thing, I think. So, uh, yeah, he would just be a great person, I think, to sit down and have a drink with and just – like, give me albums, John. Just, yeah, just yeah, give yeah, me exactly. suggestions. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Because like that's difficult to do. There's so much stuff out there, particularly if you're, you know, when I was in college, it was one thing. You, there's a lot of time listening to music in dorm rooms and stuff. It is a much more difficult thing as an adult with a family and kids and, and doing content creation and doing whatever to be able to sift through what's out there and that's find right. cool things to listen to and having someone – uh, who does that all day long and has good taste, offer you suggestions would be uh, invaluable. Yeah, that's right. And it's like different different albums have different times and contexts to play them yeah. kind of thing too. But yeah, it's just like you see something like uh, it's the little like minutiae and like you see something in between the lines of why this is special kind of thing. Well, what you said mm-hmm. about something like an, uh, someone like that transcending like just being stuck in their time. We've even seen bands struggle to get through, say, the 80s or the 90s and like yeah. become like stay relevant and like because mm-hmm. musical taste can get stuck, whatever. Uh, the other one I think of is um, uh, Jimmy Iovine from The Defiant Ones, like the, the I mean, it's the Inter- In- Interscope, um, basically, you know, record um, producer and everything. And, and mm-hmm. like the way he kind of, went from you know you're doing stuff with stevie nicks and and like uh, paul mccartney back in like the 70s and it's like going through and seeing genius in trent reznor and like and going right, yes and hip-hop and it's like most people are like, oh i only know this kind of type of music or whatever and it's like no i can see when someone's amazing like gwen stefani was one and it's like no you are you are incredible and like early black eyed peas and they're like that that's such a good documentary series to watch for like and most people are like, oh, it's just a hip-hop documentary. I'm like, no way. Like, it's it's way beyond that. Like, it's, yeah. And I've talked to Chesh a little bit about the um, the Trent Reznor stuff. I had, I wasn't much, I don't know much about industrial and stuff, but that's a, that's a rabbit hole I want to go down kind of thing because it's just fascinating that all music has its merit type thing, you know? Like, it's, there's, there's things yeah, you can for sure. see, you can see brilliance beyond just genre. Yeah, well, nice. and, and I am not someone who ever had a was able to I, I was ever able to connect with industrial um, or mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails as well. I could never make for whatever reason it just didn't like stick in my brain the way some things do. Yeah. Um, but I think Reznor is a good example of someone who's who was very impressively able to switch to doing other things that mm-hmm. sound nothing like industrial music. Like there's clearly something in his brain that processes music in a certain way. Yeah. And you know, 25 years ago, it processed it one way, and he's been able to to adjust with the times relatively effortlessly in a in a way that most people can't. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a truly impressive feat, I think. Love it. True, true. So, uh, next one we got here. What is your video game hall of fame? So it could be one, could be five, whatever. Like, but where do you um, go to at the you top? Know, I, I am not a, a hardcore gamer, particularly in my old age. Number one, I just don't have time. Um, so like the last couple of years, you know, when I play games, it's usually things that are relatively popular and, um, easy to jump in and out of. I guess I don't mm. know how difficult League of Legends isn't an easy game to come in and out of, but like, 
the concept is there. You can just play yeah. for 20 minutes and, and walk away. World of Warcraft to a degree. Um, I've, I still play that on occasion. It's been probably six months. I've been out of it now, but I still go back on occasion. Um, so most of my, my, my picks are relatively old here. Um, I think the last game that like had me hooked um, was Final Fantasy VII, the original Final oh, Fantasy VII. Yeah. So um, although remake. I did, I, did, I wound up, I wound up buying a PS4 just to replay the remake, which was a little, really, really fun too. But mm. um, I just don't have the time usually, and those those kind of things tend to suck you in. And I don't have the, I have other things that suck me in. So that was the last big one. When, when I think back to to being a kid, Legend of Zelda was the first game that made me realize what games could be. It was it was yeah. the first game that had a story and had a world that you were exploring. Mm. Um, and and that was a game changer for me in terms of games. Playing a game that like was that open ended, where you could go different places and, and and save it and pick up your progress the next day. Um, so that was a big deal in terms of games, and it's still fun to replay. I've gone back and replayed totally. Legend of Zelda and still have fun doing it. It's pure escapism too, in a way that like the fid- the fidelity never really kind of uh, yeah experience. Like I mean, you could I think some SNES games I feel pretty like Chrono Trigger or something I can like zone out. Yeah, and, yeah, oh, I feel there, game. whatever. But yeah, All Chrono of Time was that one. We like wow, it's the music, it's the atmosphere, everything. Yeah. Um, it, I, I have say, one weird one. It. I'll throw out here. Yeah, um, please. When yeah, I yeah. when I was a kid, when I was very young, my parents had some friends that owned. Like a small little, I guess it would be the equivalent of a pub. It was a small bar that served food, um, and they had a couple upright, old upright cabinets. Ooh. And when I would go in there, like they they had the the switch they could flip to free play <laughs> on the nice. upright. So so they would just you know flip it and, and and I could play whatever I wanted. They had an old game called Tapper, mm-hmm. which is g- literally you're a guy like slinging beers down a bar we're talking this is an old like early 80s game oh, wow. still had in this oh, pub. Wow. um but i have so many like fond memories of playing tapper in that place and like you know having a burger with my parents as they were hanging out with their friends at their, at their friends little bar as a kid um playing that tapper game that that if i could find a cabinet of that for a reasonable price and i've looked and i've never found one for a reasonable price but if i could I would have a, uh, a a tapper cabinet in my oh, house. Oh, the nostalgia, everything. Yeah, far out. Oh, that's so good. It's literally just pouring <laughs> beers for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, I love that to bits. That is really cool. Um, I was going to say, and this this kind of gels with my... Um, uh, oh, no, I'll, I'll leave it to later on. The, uh, the entertaining was something I was going to talk about. A convergence between video games and albums, and Legend of Zelda kind of just brought that up for a second, and, but I'll get to it later anyway. Um, speaking of, uh, Dana, recommend us an album um it's a hard so, one <laughs> so, yeah this is this is tricky um so i think man there, there's there's two that i couldn't pick from um yep. for different reasons um so the first one an album that i will always be able to listen to and it takes me back to a very specific place but it's just a vibe album and that's that's an album from a band out of minneapolis called the jayhawks mm-hmm. um and the album's called hollywood town hall it's just very kind of 1970s harmony sounding, you know, verse, chorus, verse, jangle, guitar. Um, they, they do a cover of, uh, I think it's Grand Funk Railroad's Bad Time mm. on the album. Um, 
that's a really mellow cover, but it's like the whole album is the kind of album that you want to play in your car on a nice sunny day when you're driving through some rural county to go to some thing and you're just in no hurry to get anywhere. It's a no hurry to get anywhere album. Oh, I love that description. It's like it's actually something I'm going to think about for other things. Like I often say it's a driving album, but like that puts it in better words. I love that. That's that's sweet. So so that's that's the 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 first one. The second one is is one that like hits me differently um and that would be Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Ooh. Um as far as profoundly musical experiences go, that would be the one that that makes me that like hits me at an emotional level and kind of makes me feel bad as a person for having not accomplished something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and, and there's a lot. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Neutral Milk Hotel. They're they're kind of. I mean, they were they were known, but they weren't huge. And yeah, it's yeah. Mostly I definitely know that guy. album. Yeah. Um, uh, Jeff Mangum is the guy's name who was basically the person behind it. And he kind of had a breakdown after it came out. Mm. Um, and his, his kind of explanation for that was like, I achieved everything I thought I would in a perfect world be able to achieve with like one piece of art mm. and it didn't fix me. Like he, he was operating under this assumption that if he one day made this perfect thing, it would make him as a person feel better and it didn't, nothing changed yeah. and he didn't know how to cope with that. Yeah. Um, so he like disappeared. Like, I mean, there would be literally people would be like, apparently someone saw him at this store in, you know, 1999 and then he was supposedly crashing on someone's couch in 2004, but like, he was off the grid for probably 15 years. And then in the, like, you know, 2011, I want to say 2012, he just kind of showed up at, I actually was at the, when the um, Occupy Wall Street rallies were, were happening in the U.S., um, mm. some protests, he just showed up at, at a couple of those with a guitar and started playing songs. Far out. And then did a tour. Um, you know, not a ton of dates, but did like 20 dates throughout the U.S. It was just like just him on stage playing Neutral Milk Hotel songs. And I actually got to go see him in Minneapolis play one of those events. And it was the weirdest vibe at a show I've ever been to because, number one, it's not the kind of show that you go to casually. Like, if you're going to that show, it's because yeah. you know that album and you, and you know him. And everyone was kind of scared. Like, they were <laughs> going to frighten him away. Yeah. So but... the audience – and the audience's eyes, everyone was like – like – in awe that he was actually there and alive in person playing these songs. And, you know, everyone like loosened up and warmed up, but, but I have never seen an audience at a concert. So just in awe of the person on stage, it was yeah. every, it was a, it was a room of, you know, 3000 people watching someone play songs that they absolutely adored that they never thought they would get a chance to see because this person was just gone. Mm. And he came back and did this mini tour and we all got to see him and it was it was a moment to be part of. Yeah. And, and it, goes, it goes to show too how, how deeply cerebral and, and personal kind of musicians can absolutely be that it's like it's mm -hmm. uh, a lot, there's people go, oh, they're just invincible, like whatever. Like why don't they just make music? And it's like, no, it's dead. Generally that kind of well, talent comes from a place of like yeah. – uh, you know, it, it, like an amazing mind that has everything going on, kind of thing. The one I always think about is um the the 
tragedy of Nick Drake, and it's like amazing yeah, exactly. mind, and it's like what could have been, and it's like internal conflicts, everything. So yeah, that's that's such a special well, thing. I, I mentioned David Foster Wallace um, yeah. as a writer. He he, that was kind of the same deal with him. Like he he thought at some point making something would fix him, and it didn't, and yeah. he couldn't cope with that. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's um that's so uh, David Foster Wallace did Infinite Jest, right? That was the yeah. That's the one I've been. Yeah, I know. I hear that's a that's uh, a heavy one, but great uh, in its own way, kind of thing. So it, it is um, well worth your time to read his. He actually, I would recommend if you want to read his stuff. He, there's a lot of essays he wrote that are oh, out nice. there and pretty easy to find on the internet um, about just random topics. Like he was a pretty good tennis player as a kid, so he wrote about tennis quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and his tennis essays are fantastic too. It, it, just his way with words is uncanny, even if he's writing about youth tennis. So that kind of stuff is worth cracking down just to get a feel for how he writes before you yeah. jump into some of his more dense stuff. I love it. Absolutely will do. Um, Chess, you were listening to Neutral Milk Hotel this week, weren't you? Yeah, I was because I was on my quest to find the next thing I want to listen to that sounds like Muddles Mouse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Guess, that, I, that's... I guess the uh, realization is that it doesn't have to sound directly like, of course, and that's that's the the fun exploration. They're like, oh, this might be a new thing. Yeah, it doesn't have to, but it fucking helps. <laughs> how, how did it go anyway? <laughs> uh, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think like, I feel like this is the sound that neutral, it's, a, it's a slow burn too. Like you're like ah, well, like later on it's neutral, in context and stuff. So neutral milk hotel is great, but also like a lot of the songs feel. Hmm. From a musician point of view, they feel unfinished. I know, like, that's it's just very lo- raw, yeah, lo-fi definitely. thing of him. Yeah, too. Like, but there's just something missing, mm. and that's, so that's, I that's, think that's that's been weird. It's one of those things too that I think that there's a lot of artists that have came afterwards that have been heavily influenced by what that album did. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it maybe doesn't sound the way to ears that have heard artists that have been influenced by it than it did before those artists were out there putting out albums that have little bits and pieces of that in their mm. dna as well yeah, yeah like your arcade fires and stuff like it's uh, yeah oh, right yeah, yeah for sure for sure i just saw uh there's a couple of things talking about i was just looking at the wiki and stuff what jeff magnum's done and there's a point um doing the doing a recording of the whole of rock bottom by robert wyatt which means a lot to me because robert wyatt's someone i've got into really recently a lot uh from soft machine and um yeah just incredible stuff as another complete like just rabbit hole of content to like go down the story everything but um yeah um especially in a cerebral kind of uh realm too but i I explained that a few weeks back i think about his story is very interesting but um no i love it um i I think there's actually some some like modest mouse kind of connections there too like mangum Mm. played with um whoever the lead singer is of apples and stereo i forget the guy's name so there's some connections there and i know apples and stereo have some kind of crossover with modest mouse in some places too so there's there's definitely some some elbows being rubbed back and forth to a degree between some of those artists nice i know i always love how like there's there's bands at that time too that if if it's their style like uh it's almost everything's out there to to witness in the whole journey and it's like nothing's too Mm -hmm. curated or like produced that kind of thing especially i mean chesh like we talked about early modest mouse like the the rawness is nuts <laughs> you're just like it's just like you're, yeah. you're you're going through their journey as they kind of and you know you listen to them now they're cleaned up a lot more they've got their sound like it's it's there and it's, but you know there's a there's a fun like minneapolis has a pretty specific music scene mm. um obviously prince came out of there so there's a lot of kind of like totally. funk things going on but there's also 
a lot of the, the Jayhawks that came out of there. There's kind of a, a alt country ish um, group of artists that call <clears throat> all kind of came from that area um, that kind of have some, you know, interplay back and forth too. And, and once or twice a year, they'll do a show at a smaller club in Minneapolis under the name Golden Smog is the the, the band's name. Mm. But it's like one guy from the Jayhawks and like the guitar player that was in Soul Asylum and somebody who used to be in the whole – somebody from the Hold Steady shows up. And so there's like, you know, a, a dozen people on stage from different bands all just doing like covers. Mm. So like, okay, we're, we're going to do a Rod Stewart cover and now we're going to, you know, we're going to do a cover of the – the Iggy pop. And then we're going to do, you know, and they'll just like crank out covers for, for 30 straight songs and then not play again for six months. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've, I've managed to see a few of those shows, which are a lot of fun to, to show up for and just like, oh, what's it going to be tonight? We'll find out. Oh, I love it. And I'm just, I think I'm fascinated to um, dig into uh, what seems to be a super unique scene, that Minneapolis scene, of course. And like, and it's, it's stuff I, I generally kind of, try and span a lot of music genres and, and kind of pockets of, of culture or whatever. But like, it's one that seems quite isolated. And I mean, not isolated, but it's, it's its own like identity and thing that like can't be, I love the ones that can't really be tangibly explained. They're just like, no, you yeah. kind of just got to listen to a whole ton of it. And like, exactly. No, that's awesome. Um, Next one. Chesh, you got the one next one there? Hold on. Where is it? I'd move the list. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my words are going all over the place. Uh, yeah, that one. Go for it, Chesh. Uh-huh. Uh, your favorite magic art? Um, you know, I, I think this just came up in a, a CMDR Central show that hasn't aired yet um, because a deck had this card in it. But I, I think my favorite piece of magic art ever is Vesuvan Doppelganger. Oh, I love it. Ooh, yeah, that's fair. Um, in, in that the the pose kind of on it has been mirrored no pun intended, um, a ton of times over the years for any kind of copy effect, but that was the first one that did it. And there's just something about, you know, the color on the card matches the frame very nicely and it's a really clean piece of work. And it was one of the first rares I ever opened back in the day too. So there's a whole bunch of things that come together that make that um, a, a card I just absolutely adore. So that's that that would definitely, I think, be my, my, my favorite piece of art ever. That Quinton Hoover uh, kind of touch, um, I'm thinking like Sveitri yeah. Scarsum and uh, the one, my favorite, Arkham's Whistle. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that's a card. <laughs> that's like far out. Now, Chesh, does, is Quinton Hoover the one that did your the, 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 the card that you tell people not to use as their favorite? Yes. Yes. All right, yes. I won't say it. You know which one I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Chesh says every time, <laughs> not Earthbound. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, anyway. It's just because, like, there was a whole discussion, um, oh, I'd be like two years ago now, I guess. Mm. There was a whole discussion where everyone was chiming in on, like, how good or bad the art depiction was. Yep. Not, not the actual art itself, but the actual depiction of, like, this fairy in bondage. Yep, yep. And, like, whether we should or shouldn't actually have that on a magic card. And it's like, I mean, it doesn't matter either way, but, like, it's just, to me, boring. Sorry. That's what brought up the whole thing in the first place. Because it's just, like, cool, bondage. Like, great. Awesome. Pass. That. That card is that card and that depiction is very much a relic of that period of time yes, in fantasy yes. art as well. Totally, and it's like uh, another it, one. It, I, it I will actually so quick different. shout out from back in the day too. That is a card that I still think is really striking. Is that original Singer Vampire art? Oh yeah! Oh hell yeah! 
Um, and I wish I wish that was a depiction of of magic vampires we would see more often. There's that that is mm-hmm. I think of just a a gorgeous and it's not I wouldn't call it disturbing, but it is it's a fascinating depiction of vampires, and I, I would like to revisit that that more and stuff. That's I think Anson Maddox, I believe. Yeah, it's it's like it's super it. super unsettling. Um, but like yeah yeah yeah. I mean I don't know. Is it and and it? it should be because vampires shouldn't be fucking pretty god <laughs> right yeah no exactly like, yeah but this this one's pretty in its own right in a weird way you know what i mean like it's yeah, like no it's got I mean. a it's got a bit of a glam kind of like you could you could make that case like but it's terrifying right like yeah. that's, oh you totally like, totally the whole but like maybe i'm watching too much rupaul's drag race with Kate, but there's, some, there's some looks that are like this and they're bloody striking usually from like the new york scene apparently like it's it's yeah very art and yeah oh this one so, what, like, is this is this Sengi vampire licking the tree? Is that what's happening here, or is that? A yeah, vein? I'm not sure if that like if that tree or that those those veins are kind of just there, like, or, yeah. or is that just like metaphorical? And I am not yeah, that sure. sort of thing. It's like conceptually, it's like licking the vein, which is just blown up and huge. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit to think about. Dig it. <laughs> oh, I love that one a lot. Um, yeah, moving on, we've got the next one was uh, Dana recommend us a movie. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just looking at the couple I put down here and realizing they all do have music as a thread running through them. Please do. Um, I love it. <laughs> I, I think my, my, the, the movie that feels like it was most proper, perhaps made for me is, um, almost famous from Cameron Crowe. Oh yeah. Classic. <laughs> um, and, and I just know that you would choose that. Just, just based on your musical tastes alone. <laughs> yeah, like, like that. If I could live at any period in time, if I could go back, like, I and go on tour with a band in 1974 yeah. and write about them for Rolling Stone, I don't know why you would choose anything else <laughs> to to do. If you were, if a genie gave you a wish to go do a job at any point in time, I don't know how you would pick anything, but but be the person in that movie. That yeah. is, that would be the dream for me. Yeah, and, um, so, it, and what a soundtrack! And it's too. a movie. Yeah, it's got a great soundtrack, and it's just like it just feels like if you made a movie to make me want to watch it once every three months, that's the movie, and that's what I do. Mm. Um, on a similar vein, um, at least in terms of having a having a great soundtrack, although it's much more kind of ridiculous in in the soundtrack, that would be Streets of Fire. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all Ooh. from the mid eighties. Fire. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Uh, Walter Hold on. Hill, who did um, the Warriors, yeah. <laughs> the, so ah, it, it's it, 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 it's got that same like ridiculous, over the top, doesn't quite exist in our reality thing going on. Like almost um, so army like, of know, darkness whole, in the artwork as well. Like it's just like mm. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's 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 insane. It's essentially <laughs> the Odyssey. It's the Odyssey oh. in, in us in a city that takes place entirely underneath the elevated train in Chicago. Somehow it's always mm. nighttime. It's always raining. Everything's always neon. Um, it's a, it's, it's a ridiculous movie. Like every shotgun blast makes a motorcycle explode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in, in the soundtrack is absurd. It's, it's, there's a couple of songs by Jim Steinman who wrote from oh, yeah. the seventies. I see so Jim Steinman albums all the time. You're like, that is some just like legit, ad- like I yeah, adore army of darkness. Jim, <laughs> I adore Jim Steinman. I love like how insanely over the top yep. all yep. his stuff is. And the, the, the movie opens and closes with like a six minute musical number. 
um, of two of his songs, which is batshit crazy, but like it works <laughs> in the context of the movie. Um, with Diane Lane lip syncing along with whoever's actually singing the songs. Oh, amazing. Um, it, it's a crazy movie. It, the movie ends, the, the, the final showdown is a sledgehammer fight where, <laughs> yes. w- where William <laughs> Defoe is wearing leather hip waders. Oh, I need to watch this movie tonight. This it's makes seriously me so happy. An amazing, it's, like- it's, it's ridiculous, but it's oh. an amazing movie. I, I actually, um, John Dunning uh, does, a, does a movie podcast with Jason Alt, and he does a solo show once in a while. And I, I, I got John to, to, to watch that and do a <laughs> show on it with me. Um, and that was his He's like, I've never heard of this movie, and it's the most crazy thing I've ever seen, and I love every minute of it. Yeah. I can uh, absolutely so I, I, recommend that podcast too that um, that John and, and Jason do. That's that's amazing. Yes, they're they're great. Yeah, um, and, and I think the last one I'll throw out there too it, that is very much a kind of me vibing movie is Adventureland. Oh yeah, with is, uh, with with Woody, uh, Woody Harrelson and is that the one? No, no um, oh, that's Zombieland with Zombieland. the same dude. Like, oh. That's not that's that's not Woody Harrelson. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, what's his name from the social network? And I'm just playing that blank. Oh, no, you're right. right now. No, hold on. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, far out. What is his name? Jesse Eisenberg. There we go. Eisenberg. Yeah. It's basically, it's like, it takes place in like 84 or something. And he's, it's the summer after college is out and he's trying to figure his life out. And he's working at this crappy amusement park. But it's again, like great mid eighties songs and not mm. I, like, I don't like cheesy you know, synthy stuff. I tend to like. There's a lot of like, you know, Elvis Costello replacements, Husker mm. Du kind of stuff in the soundtrack. It's just a really, really good movie. That's you're you're just hanging out with people that you're like, if I was when I was 22, this would have been a pretty good summer. You know, mm. just hanging out with these people, working at a dead end job with no <laughs> responsibilities, trying to figure your shit out. Um, that that movie speaks to me in a lot of ways as well. So those those are the three I would recommend. Almost famous is relatively well known, but the other two I would I would def- definitely say give them a look. No, I love it, and then that one too. Like that that whole like the idea of capturing a vignette of that time and like yeah, there's much happen yeah. and it like doesn't need yep. to necessarily, but it, it reminds me in a way that I know a few people felt like seeing uh kind of the starting sections of what's the what's the show um stranger things like kind of did and it's like i mean they yeah, probably yeah. they kind of ramped the tropes up a little bit of course but like they're playing dnd it's just like it's a, a day in life type thing and it's like yeah for sure the, um, the kids on the bikes running away from danger yeah. is a very nostalgic vision for for people of my age for sure oh totally it just like and then of course it's just the et thing you know like it's it's just exactly what happens that mm-hmm. type thing so no I, lo- I love that to bits too so um no they're, they're solid solid uh recommendations i want to watch them all now um like i say i like how music's uh at the undertone there too it's um yeah it's it's kind of uh respecting that like music really does help make a movie it, it's it's and it can yeah. have its whole identity kind of tied to it and it, for that reason i um i don't know like i like the movies but i like the soundtracks more of anything that edgar wright does and and being yeah you know like I, I listen to a couple of podcasts he's just the biggest music nerd i've ever heard like he just wants to I, I, I'll go for it. He's intro- He's like a, one of those John Peel kind of people who's introduced me with, to a yeah. ton of good songs over the years just because even his Twitter account, he'll just throw stuff out there on occasion like, this is a great song by this person. And I'm like, yes, I'll, I'll listen to yeah. it. I'm like, yep, <laughs> yes, it is. 
Yeah, he got me into Focus, which are one of my favorite prog rock bands, and they're bizarre. Like, they're Dutch, they're awesome. They did that yodeling song on Baby Driver. Uh, then the rest of it's really symphonic, oh, sure. really symphonic and really um, kind of atmospheric as well. And I've got a ton of their records, and they're just amazing. But, yeah, it's like he – I think I listened to a podcast, and he was explaining how he um, he pretty much – made baby driver just so he could um play that john spencer blues explosion uh, song <laughs> so he, he like yep. ma- he had this idea in his head for years about like a car chase is built around this song a car chase is built around this song and then he the the rest of the movie just formed around it over a bunch of years like in his head and i just think that's so cool like creative uh like creativity wise like to be like oh how can I theme things with like, you know, like music is like the the kind of the main character in that movie actually. So, yeah, I love it. Well, and, and you know, there's a ton of great songs in Scott Pilgrim as well. Mm. And Brian Lee O'Malley, who wrote those comics, is also a gigantic music nerd. And just reading, the, you know, reading Scott Pilgrim, there's so many cool drops in there that I found as well in a, you know, just the comic alone, let alone the movie where you're combining his stuff with Edgar Wright. But so many good songs I found just from just from Scott Pilgrim comics alone, like particularly obscure Canadian stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love New Pornographers, who are a, a yeah, kind of Canadian great. pop band, and I I I had heard the name but never really listened to them until I saw multiple references in Scott Pilgrim and in, in the actual comics. I'm like, okay, well, I'll try them. Um, the actual song Scott Pilgrim by Plumtree is a fantastic song, mm. and. Who would ever like? They were a very obscure band that put out one album in like 1995 or something, <laughs> and sold 14 copies, and 10 of those were their family. And you know, Brian Lee O'Malley knew the album and knew the song, and yeah. like named a character after it. And it's a great song. And how else would you have found that? Yeah, just deep, deep cuts. It's the best. I yeah. Um, all right. That's oh, that was that was great. Uh, Chish, next one. Uh, what do you got there? What's your favorite Pokemon? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I'm a little older than, than a lot of the Pokemon games. So I, I like I, I kind of came into Pokemon backwards, both from my son kind of getting into it and mm. from people I know playing like Pokemon Go I'm, or whatever. I'm sorry, I'm gonna cut you um, off there. How old are you? <laughs> I'm I'm 45 now. Holy shit, you're actually older than me. I thought you were younger than me. I'm I'm like the oldest. I feel like I'm the oldest person making content in Commander. Just full stop. Uh, and and uh, I, that may be true. I might actually. Fuck. Well, I was gonna say, Chesh can't wave his seniority card or his seniors card. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm I'm 42, so I usually get to okay. wave my uh, my senior card at people and go, Yeah, yeah, I'm whip a snappy. You got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Like, uh, yeah, just pat him on the head and say, "All right, son." Like, yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so no, we're we, we, so, yeah, so yes, like, Pokemon. Yeah. So I, I don't have a childhood favorite or something. Like, there's not a lot of nostalgia attached to it necessarily for me. But I think, like, without a doubt, my favorite Snorlax. Hell yeah! <laughs> Come on, a giant sleeping Pokemon. That's everything right there in one like cuddly character. That's that would be my 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 pick easily. I love it, and we've mm. talked about it before. Also, that duality and like even a game design sense. It's just like, yeah, he's just obscenely powerful too, but probably just doesn't want to yeah. wake up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's awesome. I love it. Um, and and to wrap all these up anyway, uh, Dana Roach. In just a few words, what does magic mean to you? Um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a tough question to answer in a few words, but I, 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 w- I would come back to an answer I gave before, um, 
about making friends and in, in friendship, um, that's like I said, that's tough to do as an adult, particularly yeah. people that 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 have a shared interest. And all the friends I've made as since you know I've I've been. 30-ish, so the last 10, 15 years, have been through magic. Like people that I, I genuinely like, not not that I'm hanging out with because I'm obligated to or because mm -hmm. we have a work function. People that I actively want to see are friends I have made from magic. Um, I Number one, you have the game in common, but I think liking the game and liking magic then tends to sin signify exactly. you perhaps have other shared interests as well. Yeah, it's a conduit. Um, it goes beyond yeah. So then you're talking to somebody about magic, then you find out you're, you're also both into something else. You're both into anime or, or whatever it would wind up be. It, it's just been a way to to meet people and form those bonds that that's that nothing else even comes close. You know, I I play golf in the summers, not like regularly, but a couple times a month, and I wind up once in a while in a group with people I don't know where we talk. And we both like golf and have similar jobs, but it's not. Not the same, <laughs> and you're never, you're never, you're never going to see them again at the golf course. Whereas when you go to when you go to the shop, it's the same people there most of the time, and you're yeah. like, hey, it's that guy from last week who we had that good conversation about, you know, whatever we were talking about. That, that it, it's that's been a big deal for me, and and it's also something where not only am I doing that, I'm getting getting to like build an interesting deck and trying to solve problems and figure things out. And I'm just, I'm able to combine a bunch of things that are very useful for me as a person and, and very useful to having a fulfilling life um, in, in terms of hobbies and interests outside, outside of the family, because you need to have those things. And it's a way to do all of those things simultaneously with one um, hobby. So, so that's what it means to me. It's a way for me to find external fulfillment in a lot of ways um, that are fun in a way that's it's very difficult to do, I think, for most people. Yeah, and unusually packaged up with so many of those facets. And yeah. I mean, that last one you mentioned, I mean, sorry, you mentioned at the start, but um, that, that resonated with me was collecting as well. And and I feel that without mm -hmm. being a hoarder, but it's like, it is stimulating. And it's it's a there's a lot of those stimuli kind of concepts in magic that, that do that. And when they all cross over at once, it's like, that's why we keep coming back. <laughs> exactly. But like, like, I, like, I'm gonna be friends. Like, I, I just, I, I'm gonna be friends with Max till we die. Like, yes, we, yeah. we have gotten that close. We're that's what our friendship means at this point in time. And I, I don't know how else I would have met a friend like him or like you know, I, Joey and Matt and Matt don't live in the same town as me, so mm. we, we aren't necessarily as close as, as Max and I are because everything is long distance but like i can't imagine not at least staying in touch with them yeah. and i don't know what other hobbies i would have i would have done that i would have those kind of relationships with and magic has has done that and that's pretty singular i think yeah exactly and um that's it's that point i um i've talked about a few times but keep going back to that when we spoke to coach davy about um the idea of like just like hypothesizing of the idea of what if the game just shriveled up and died tomorrow uh, what mm -hmm. would we be left with? And actually still a ton. Like, yeah, we'd probably still play. Yeah. We'd, we'd keep Commander putting. Like, you know, we don't need new cards yeah. to come out. We'd keep that going. But it's, it's you know, it is like, you know, sappy enough as it sounds, the friends we made along the way. And and that's what would yeah. keep it going. And, and you know, there's there's more to life to ma in, in, uh, than magic. And I, I say that very positively rather than going, don't get too obsessed with magic but because it is amazing. But, like, it's we're, we're, we're building something else at the same time, which is pretty special. 
Yeah, that's that's a good point. There's more, there's more to life than magic, but it's also can be a very supplemental thing yeah. to make your life more uh, enjoyable if if you want yeah. it to and, and let it. So there's more to life than magic, yeah. and I I want to find out more about it, and that's what actually excites me. And that's what makes magic exciting. Yeah, it is not the only yeah. thing, you know. And that the, the my, most my, my life. My okay. life is better because of magic. That's a kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thing. I, I think we can say that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, nice, nice. Um, so what we're going to do now, um, and, and absolutely, I'll say it many times as I do, I'm an appreciative person, but absolutely appreciate going down all those pathways, uh, Dana, and, and and you sharing all that as well, like most importantly, and, and that's just the environment we want to kind of create where you can share whatever you feel like, and, and that was awesome, and what uh it's all about those perspectives too like what the game means um you know be it day-to-day with new preview cards or like uh kind of philosophically like long-term kind of thing but um also the other all the other amazing things you got going on there and i was excited to chat to you about music that kind of thing so definitely delivered love it so um well but yeah as we do we uh we 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 move on now to uh the kind of sign off segment where we talk about the entertaining which is any non-magic media that's kind of had our taste or attention this week um, could be anything. I it could be anything new, old, whatever. I usually go old because I'm slow with things, and the new <laughs> thing for me is something from 1970. So, good job. Um, or a video game from 10 years ago. That's what happens. Um, but Chesh is usually on the forefront of things. Um, I'll get Chesh to start on this one, but um, Dana, if if there's anything you've been into and vibing this week, um, have a think about it and, and feel free to share that kind of thing. But um, yeah, Chesh, what uh, what were you vibing this week? Uh, so first off, I watched the first five episodes of Superman and Lois. Hey! Which was basically the Lois and Clark that we actually needed in this day and age, because I'm so sick of depressive, horrible, bleak fucking DC. (laughs) Uh, And this was actually like family drama, Lois and Clark style, where, you know, Superman has a family and he has responsibilities to his family that he's like i can't save everyone and i'm sick of saving everyone because i just want to have a fucking life with my family mm-hmm. and i need to spend more time on them because they they don't know who i am except for you know obviously lois um and i want to spend time with my sons uh and and it's just uh, it's hard to explain without giving any spoilers but definitely watch it because it's just it's the fucking Superman that should be in the fucking movies. It's not hard, DC. Like, imagine being upstaged yet again by a TV property because your movies just can't mm-hmm. hit the audience. Like, we don't need more Batman Superman crap where which one is which because you can only tell because they're wearing different costumes, but otherwise <laughs> they sound exactly the same, they look exactly the same, and they're both fucking sad. Um, <laughs> so that is that is uh, Superman and Lois, and, and I absolutely think everyone should watch it. Not like Supergirl, which has turned to trash. Um, which I also watched a couple of episodes of the new season and it's just fucking horrible. Mm. Um, but the, the bigger one would be Falcon and Winter Soldier is actually starting to get good. Oh yeah. I'm seeing a ton of marketing for this too. Like they did. And it's, it still feels a bit fumbly to be honest, but, um, it's really dark. If, if I was going to say, if that's a, if that's the the commendation from um, from Chesh, I think it's okay. Then if, if it's, it's getting better, <laughs> watch it because it's not dark and gritty dark. It's yeah. 
troublingly dark and yet kind of lighthearted. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's dark in a way that makes sense. It's dark. It, like, yes. they're addressing, hey, racism is a real thing that occurs and Marvel's, the movies have never really tackled that. Mm. And they're not, they're not like, you know, tackling it in a super, in your, like a super serious way, but like, it's a present thing that characters are commenting on and Sam is aware of, and that's not something they've ever even dared approach in, in the MCU before. And mm-hmm. they're, they're talking about it. Like, that's a real thing that's kind of cool to address. And they're addressing the difficulties that would happen when suddenly half the planet came back and who that would all displace that wasn't displaced the previous five years. And mm-hmm. that's a real thing that would have been an issue, and they're addressing it. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Especially when you go from that first episode where, like, Sam is written just so everyman, and and yeah. I was just super worried about the writing, because it was just like, he's such a bland character without somebody to play off. Like, so yeah. super bland. But the episode, mm, non-spoilers, mind you, so I'm going <laughs> to keep spoilers out of this. The episode that I just watched on Friday showed Sam as basically could have and should have been the next Captain America because he has all of those values, but an updated set of those values where he's like, I just want to help people. And look, I can see there's injustice here and I agree with the injustice, but not the way that you're trying to get your message around the world. Like this isn't the way to do it. Like I absolutely agree that you've been pushed around, you've been displaced, but you're killing people. And that's not how you address this shit. Like, it just makes you a fucking terrorist. And I'm like, God damn it, the writing is getting so much better now. <laughs> and well, and, and look, it, it touched on his past as a counselor. And he yes. was talking, like, like that, which is a big deal. That's That was one of the things that, that really worked, I thought, with him when he was first introduced in The Winter Soldier was he was a soldier who understood what it was like. And his his concern now that he was back out of out of it all was helping other people who had gone through it. And then they kind of haven't touched on that since then because, you know, there's been other things in the movies to deal with. But (laughs) elements of that showing back up is makes him a very likable character. And I was glad to see them revisit that as well. Yeah. I I also love the fact that, and everyone's seen the ads, so this isn't a spoiler. Uh, I love the fact that New Captain America is a complete piece of shit. (laughs) but, But also... A little bit sympathetic and you kind of mm-hmm. understand why the guy is a piece of shit and under, you know you you there's a logic to it he's not like a mustache twirling villain he's a, just a deeply flawed human being who maybe wishes he wasn't that flawed but that's just the way he is yeah that's interesting yeah. and yeah. zemo was always a fantastic <laughs> villain in just in civil war so zemo better. is amazing so much better it's probably the best casting I've ever seen, to be honest. Like, yes. And I, just, I loved how even Zemo thought Steve Rogers was great. Yeah, even Zemo and, has to admit, yeah, Steve Rogers is amazing. I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, that guy's, that guy, look, I'll admit, that guy's great. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. wow, yeah, go for it. But yeah, we, without spoilers, um, if you haven't watched Falcon of the Winter Soldier... Please watch it. Please stick around for the first two episodes. It's a bit of a slog. But once you start getting into the good episodes, 
wow, is it good. And Marvel actually went there. And you will know yep. it as soon as you see the one that aired of this Friday. Marvel actually went where we didn't think that they could go because we haven't seen them dive this far into, A, the comic lore, and B, this level of violence. Like, it, and it needed to be there because it needed to be shocking and once you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And, mm. and that's all you get from me. That's as vague as I can be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Appreciate it. So, uh, no, that was, that was a good one, Josh. Dig it. Um, mm. Dana, do you have anything this week you've been vibing? Um, I, I will first quick also echo the Superman and Lois. Um, nice. I've only watched the first three so far, but it's nice seeing a Superman that you would look at like a hero. Um, and they, <laughs> they've, nailed, they've nailed that. He smiles. <laughs> yes. But again, it, 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 well, you know, it, it, one of the things Chris Evans really nailed with Captain America was he wasn't ever cheesy. Like yeah. you mm. got – you got, Chris Evans made it so you understood why everyone wanted to follow him into combat. I mean except for um, America's ass, I guess, but yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but Tyler Hotch when Superman does that too. Like you mm. get why he's Superman. He is able to somehow – make it believable that he is that powerful, but also that likable. He, he nails it. It's impressive. And, and if you haven't seen, he's also in a movie from a few years back called Everybody Wants Some. That's mm. um, basically a, it's from, I forgot the guy's, the director's name, who did uh, Days and Confused and Boyhood. Um, yeah, Richard, Richard Linklater. Um, it's essentially like the three days before school starts of college in like 1983 and it's following the baseball team. And and Tyler uh, Hochlin or Hochlin, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, is who plays Superman is actually one of the, the guys in the team. And it's it's interesting to see him in there because he's kind of a dick, <laughs> but he's also kind of a like he's also kind of a likable dick, too. Like you you get why he's the leader of the baseball team as well, even if he's a dick. You mean he's Matthew Lillard? <laughs> <laughs> he he's like the quintessential with a mustache '80s baseball player, and he really you know pulls it off. It's 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 so so. Anyway, if you haven't seen Everybody Wants Some, I would recommend that as a movie as well. But but the mm. one thing I've been revisiting, I think the last week or two, um, is a sitcom from ten ish years ago called Happy Endings. Oh, and why do I know this one? I had forgot about it because um, my wife and I watched – I think it went four seasons. I think we watched a little bit of it when it was on. But the thing that brought it back into my mind was they used the credit sequence for it in one of the uh, WandaVision episodes um, when they oh. were like doing sitcom stuff. And when they did the, the, the 2000s one, they used a brief – little bit of the credit sequence for the opening credit sequence of WandaVision. And I, I recognized it and then had to go do a little bit of looking. And um, so there, there's actually some, some behind the scenes people that worked for Marvel that actually had worked on, on happy endings back in the day. So then I was reading that after recognize the credit sequence. And on top of that, we had been looking for like something to watch with my son for a sitcom. It's nice to have a show a couple nights a week we can sit and watch. Yeah, it's fairly lighthearted. Um, for for yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah for, yeah. for 20 minutes too. Like he'll, he'll give us 20 minutes. That's pretty easy to do. <laughs> um, but finding something for a 14-year-old is kind of tricky. Like he doesn't want to watch anything that's too PG or too safe. Mm. But like it's always funny in Philadelphia isn't quite acceptable for a 14-year-old <laughs> either. So like – you know, he he wants something that's that, that's a little bit adult feeling, but is also 
safe enough for a 14 year old. So we tried happy endings and it had been a long enough time since my wife and I watched it that it's kind of fresh to us as well. And it really, it's, it's fast paced. It's funny. It hits. It's really the, the, good. The I jokes. remember this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the jokes are, are ones that he will get, but they're also kind of adult enough that he doesn't, that he feels like he's, you know, getting away with something a little bit watching it with us. And it, yeah, so it's, yeah. it, it, it hit a lot of the things we were looking for with the sitcom to watch with him. So I think we're six episodes into the first season after two weeks or so. And we, so that means we've got a couple months of that watching a couple per week with him till we got to find something else. So <laughs> uh, I would recommend that if you haven't watched it. It's on Hulu, I believe, at least in the U.S. it is. Yeah. So I remember we had it um, on, on Live View TV yeah, years ago. When's it? I mean, it came out in 2011. But like, yeah, it's, I, I yeah. remember it years ago, but like one of those ones you completely forget about. You're like, oh, yeah, that was just a really solid show. Like, and it's, it's just yeah. hasn't, I haven't seen it ever since. So, yeah, a good one. I remember um, Damon Wayans' character being awesome, actually, um, in particular now that I remember it. But, um, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, because I, I think the deal was he had – because he's in the pilot of New Girl um, yeah. with Zoe Deschanel because Happy Endings didn't get picked up. And then at the last minute, they added a, like a fourth season, I think, which is why then he's not a New Girl again until like the second or third season mm. after Happy Endings at its last season. Then he came back and they just put him back on the show for a while. No, dig it, dig it. Um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, that's the one. I, I, it's like music, like you know, TV shows and, and stuff. You need your horses for courses type type thing. It's like you need your yeah. lighthearted yeah. ones. What do you feel? It's a night comedy, that kind of thing. And it's like that's an amazing one to have in the quiver. No, dig it. Um, what I had this week, as I kind of alluded to before, is, is a, a bit of an abstract one, but it kind of gels between uh, my perception of albums and video games. Um, but I got really into a record I bought for $5, and it's this is often the way it goes. I've known about it for ages, but you know the whole thing where a record just clicks one day, and whether it's a, the convergence of context, um, you know, like you're in the mood for it, whatever, and you're actually listening to it because you can listen to an album and you can listen to an album. And this one was driving uh, down the highway because uh, I live out in the, the country a little bit and it's just like the, the scenery was really kind of gelling what I was listening to. But I put on Mike Oldfield's Omidorn and um, Mike Oldfield, of course, being known mostly for tubular bells. Uh, and you see that. That's the, the only thing I know him <laughs> for is tubular bells. <laughs> Everyone yeah. knows that album. <laughs> And it's and that's an amazing album in its own right for sure. But like Mike Oldfield, the story is is a multi instrumentalist. Um, does some you'd call it progressive rock, but it's it's probably a little bit of progressive folk or even that new age. I think people even call it. Um, but just really fascinating stuff. And this is the one a lot of like purists go to and like this is the one. Like this is, is so cool. And the way I put it, like it's a mystical journey. Like this is the, the type of record that. There's one track with lyrics in it. Oh, kind of. The one's got a bit of chanting, but it's really at right at the end is one folk track with with some lyrics in it. The rest is kind of a uh, a soundscape and just an absolute journey. That's a delight, and it's the thing I made a, a tweet about it during the week. I was like, this is the the one that all I think in my head is like, this could easily be the soundtrack to Shadow of the Colossus or Legend of Zelda. Like you, your your mind's going in those places, and it does it so well. And through things that like there's African drums, there's there's kind of Oriental guitars. It's just everything. It's the the type of thing that I can't remember who said it, but you love when you see uh, an album of like a guitar player or something like that, and like all they want to do is show all the guitars they played, and this that kind of deal. And there's a few photos you can see all the things he plays. And you're like, wow, it's just it's like twenty <laughs> things. Like it's it's unreal, but it's it's just a such a cohesive um, winding journey of an album that 
kind of really took me off guard and I've listened to it about three or four times since, but especially that end track where it's just called On Horseback, I think. And uh, if you listen to it, you'll know what I mean, but like that's one that after all that, to have one track with lyrics in it and the rest is just like ambient more or less or like instrumental is like you can bring you to tears. Like it's incredible. So that was that was what I had this week as a uh, I usually don't really have TV shows or uh, movies as such. Uh, only mm-hmm. when they come up, but um, that w- that was one. Oh, one more. I just so happened to stumble upon a movie called uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin with Tilda Swinton in it and, um, and, and Ezra Miller and John C. Riley. And that was a movie. I, I rarely sit down and just watch a movie, start to finish by myself, whatever, but this is just on, on uh, SBS, one of our local channels, and I kind of miss the idea of just jumping, like watching a movie you know nothing about and just being delighted. Mm-hmm. Um it's a pretty incredible movie, and like it's it's a not a happy movie per se. <laughs> it's, it's a shocking. <laughs> it's, it's pretty dark. Oh yeah, and it's but it it does that whole thing where it, it's it's showing a perspective of something you probably never thought about. Like what basically it's it's very established early on that like this kid uh, is responsible for some form of um, atrocity, be it I don't know if it's a massacre or something at a high school, but like you can it's more like it's it doesn't show you what happened per se. But it's showing, like, explaining the, the the kind of ramifications of what happened, and then going backwards in reverse order for how the kid was raised to that point, and most importantly, it's the whole journey of the mother, and it's like how people have like re- react to her, and she was successful, that kind of thing. But after this thing happened, how by proximity people go, you're uh, they basically like splash blood on her house, and like you're you're you must be a, a twisted piece of like individual and all this stuff the, the way everyone treats her differently differently and then as it goes to show as as you know uh the kids being raised she was almost doing everything she could <laughs> and it's like the kid is just absolutely bouncing off her as far as like is 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 a diabolical like person but it's like it's just really interesting like the way it delves into the psyche of uh the way people constructed the way nurturing works and and kind of and can affect and you know um parent relationships type thing and and it's it's a fascinating movie like it was just like i was shocked right at the end it's like that was that was something else but the other part of that i was never much of a john c Riley fan but maybe that was the whole like I don't know. Maybe I think of him for like the more lighthearted movies. And then I've seen a couple in recent memory. I'm like, he's incredible. Like he's actually really good. <laughs> so um, yeah, if anyone's got any other John C. Riley movies to uh, to, to recommend, the, that um, the first Paul Thomas Anderson movie, um, Hard Eight. Ooh, Hard Eight. Um, which would have been his pre Boogie Nights movie. Yeah. Um, and Riley is just kind of a. It's kind of starts in media res. He's a guy just. He he runs into this old gambler who just volunteers to show him how to make a living being kind of a low re- a low end hustler in Vegas mm-hmm. and teaches him how to like just make enough at a casino to pay for your hotel and pay for your food and just survive. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 their story of him and this guy, um, and it's excellent. And Riley is fantastic in it. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's in it as well. Um, Absolutely worth checking out. Oh, I'd love to watch. Paul that. Thomas Anderson's always great, but I would recommend that one highly. Definitely, definitely. The other one um, uh, that I saw that kind of changed my mind on it too was um, the Sisters Brothers, which was a um, kind of modern western. I haven't seen that yet. Is it? Oh, so it is good though. Excellent. So um, it's a, it's cool. a very slow movie, and you know, the bit I love because uh, and it's is it Yaquin Phoenix and I can't remember who the director. Was. Yeah, but French director. So like European movie sensibilities, like 
American cast type thing. And it's like, oh, it's, yeah, I won't spoil too much. It's very, very, very good. And we watched it for, um, we got to see it a couple of years ago, I think, for the French movie festival here. And um, it was a, yeah, a real nice surprise. It's great. Yeah. Nice. I'll check it out. Sweet. Um, that was awesome, guys. That was nerding out about some awesome stuff and, and always <laughs> appreciate that. And I, um, yeah, willing to always let that go where it needs to. So, yeah, love it. Love it. But, well, um, thanks. Uh, thanks a ton for having me on. And I would like to say um, you guys do a great job on this show as well. Um, there's a lot of content out there right now. There's a lot of a lot of competition for your, your ear time mm. listening to, to different shows right now. Um, you've done a very cool job finding this niche, doing long form interviews with people. <laughs> Just hanging out, but, 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 but you can't get that anywhere else for the most part. Like, yeah. the, like that's that's something you've done a very nice job finding this little role here. Um, that's consistently interesting and. Um, so congratulations on that and oh, thanks thank for having you. me on. I appreciate it. And, uh, I mean, I thanks. think by that tone, it's like the audacity of us like trying to expect people to listen for three hours, which I totally don't. Like, <laughs> it's just like, it's there. It's kind of like, it's there if you want to, and I probably won't cut most of it. I'll keep. Um, They're just here for the orgies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I mean, like you say, it, there's a few that kind of influence the way we do it. Mostly it's just the way kind of Chesh and I have like to be conversational it's fine but um maybe it's like a little bit of what zuby has done for ages um is, is yeah, definitely yeah. an influence and then um even speaking to erin campbell uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh what she used to do uh with which one was it was that the girlfriend bracket one of the girlfriend two bracket was yeah. so good and it's just talking yeah, about I, stuff I, I, and it's I missed best. that show yeah yeah totally, that was totally. my favorite as well uh, don't get me wrong, I love Magic Mike's, but Girlfriend Bracket was definitely yes, like... exactly. I think that was my, my first real introduction to, like, Aaron doing content outside of, um, you know, dredge stuff and, <laughs> and modern stuff. And when she became a commander yeah. player, like, yes, like, legend. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I agree. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I guess that's, that's the best place to sign off anyway. But, um, I mean, we'll start off with, uh, with, with you, Dana, and, and thanks so much for being here and joining us and hanging out at the, uh, at the breakfast table. But uh, where can we find you? You can find me on social media, um, on Twitter in particular. I spend a good amount of time there, just at Dana Roach. And you already mentioned Commander Central and the EDH RecCast, but we, we put out shows every week, and I write for Commander's Herald and write for EDH Rec as well. So I am not a tough person to find <laughs> on the internet. Exactly. And links will be in the in the notes, of course. But, uh, yeah, nice. Uh, Chesh, where can we find you, my friend? Uh, you can find me at Chesh Plays on the Twitter. You can find my freelance articles over at puremtgo.com whenever I decide to actually do them, which lately hasn't been... <laughs> much because i've been extremely busy with actual work and starting a business and all sorts of <laughs> you mean articles like, stuff. it's like it's like that's playtime stuff just write articles because it, it, exactly. i i look i love i love writing articles because i get money for them <laughs> and, and i'd like to I think you love, love the game too but yeah i do love the game and i love writing about commander but i especially love being paid for it that's yeah. been a whole novel thing for me for the last couple of years because if anyone's you know aware of 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 how content creation generally works is that you put it out on the internet for free for a long and time. people read it for a long time for free. Uh, and as it happened with me, somebody came to me and went, Hey, I write for this thing and you should be writing for this thing too. How much do you get paid currently? Nothing. Lol. Um, <laughs> why, why are you getting paid? Nothing. Cause that's how it works. Cause it's very hard to find paid gigs. Um, so yeah, 
PureMTGO.com. Uh, you can also find me on the YouTubes at Cheshire Plays Games, where you will find the EDH Boxing League um, and, and oh, no, various the shows. Precon League now. Thank you, EDH Precon League and various shows that we do on there. That's right. Uh, now and again. Uh, Command of the Distancing is currently on hiatus where we try and like re rejig it a little bit and try and figure out what direction we want to take it in. Um, but other than that, that's me. Nice. Uh, you can find me at Pastor Jam Sam on the Twitters and the Instagrams, but more importantly, you can find the podcast at CMDR Crunch, uh, underscore Crunch on the Twitters, uh, at CMDR Crunch on Instagram, and the website is cmdrcrunch.fireside.fm. And you can send thoughts, feedback, questions, whatever you feel like, pictures of several. Pictures of kittens. What was that one? Pictures of kittens. Pictures of kittens, please, to <laughs> cmdrcrunchpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, it's that's that's pretty much it. That's all I've got. But um, I mean, as we usually do anyway, like if there's anything uh, we've learned from today, folks, that you want to uh, sign off for our lovely listeners, that's <coughs> now's the time. But um, I'll just say, I don't know, be kind to each other. <laughs> there's a beer out there that's, that's called Timmy's and Tammy's, and I'm going to... Go and get myself some. Does it taste like Tim Tams? <laughs> Apparently, it's Tim Tams. That's I'm amazing. really excited. I'm into that. Right. Dana, anything you want to sign off with? Uh, no, I, I got <laughs> nothing. You guys have talked me out, which is <laughs> on, the on the spot. Nah, awesome. Thanks so much, dude. And uh, thanks so much, listeners. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you next week or the week after, one of the two. Take care. Thanks, Wolf. Well.